0: podcast this week you won't be able to see her but you can hear her it's elizabeth moss star of the invisible man plus richard stanley long lost director of color out of space drops by the pod booth very exciting all that plus the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that hasn't written this bit yet you know the bit where i go on the movie podcast that mm-hmm. uh, blah 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 so i have gone to twitter and asked twitter for some uh, for some submissions. Oh god, nothing can go. go wrong. Uh, oh, oh no, oh dear, that's not good, that's not good. Um, okay, I'm going to go for this one on the movie podcast that thinks you're a dick. Is L- that is that L- little harsh. no? Okay, on the movie podcast that sometimes isn't prepared, so crowdsources the opening. Fair, that's pretty good. Fair. That's pretty good from at Bumble's underscore Jake. There you <laughs> go. Very, very good indeed. Uh, Hello, Pod. I am Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, which this week is brought to you not only by our wonderful readers, crowdsourcing my, my introduction, but also by Stephen King's Doctor Sleep, which is, of course, the next chapter in The Shining Story and is available on digital download now, or you can catch the limited edition director's cut on 4K and Blu-ray, TM, or on DVD, no TM with DVD, Poor DVD. Whatever happened to DVDs, TM, from the 9th of March, the 9th of March, 2020.
1: Anyway, how are we all? I could use some Dr. Sleep. Right. I'm very tired. I'm very, very tired. You're I'm also be- feeling a bit Captain Trips this morning. I, should, right. I
0: should introduce everyone, uh, first of all, before, uh, before I do this, mm. um, because I, I, I should crowdsource the introductions as well. But I, I fear what people would say about you, James Dyer. <laughs> we threw
1: it open to the, the British fair. public. It is very fair. But uh, how are you? You're not good? I'm good. I'm good. But I have that time-honored thing of having returned from holiday ill, which seems to happen to everyone. And obviously, in the current climate, that's not <laughs> ideal. But uh, yes. I fear it is just the sniffles uh as one when traveling on a plane full of lots of ill people tends to mm-hmm. okay so uh, yeah. i've in disney world which is very exciting all right we'll, we'll talk about that in a yeah. second uh because also we are joined of
0: course by our geek queen who is not self-isolating at the moment uh jimbo was over there
1: i'm at the other end of the table he is at so the I'm, other end of the table i've isolated myself at the mm. other end of the pod yeah. booth i've got um, some
2: air freshener here maybe if i spray I feel it we need uh, all yeah. things in the air I'm just going to spray it in james's that direction yeah fair.
1: Like I mean, I'm wearing a level four biohazard suit. <laughs> so you really are spraying this <laughs> at me. Oh, my God, Helen, what are you doing? This is chemical warfare. It's That's, essential oils. Oh, my God, that smells like tiger balm. What is it? Hans, it- put away the gun. <laughs> this, is- this is radio, not <laughs> <that> television. <laughs> Helen, bubby.
0: <laughs> Helen, of course, is our white knight. Uh, She is very Uh, much the Harry Ellis of this podcast. High on coke and no, 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 okay. Hey, hey, Helen. Uh, Our geek queen, (laughs) Helen O'Hara, is here, of course. Have you seen our watch? It's
1: a Rolex. No. what is your watch it is
2: not a watch wo- it's, no it's a Fitbit
0: oh <laughs> hell,
1: th- <you're, laughs> that's the worst smelling thing in the world you quite in here. nice actually I no like it. it smells like what you rub on your muscles when you've been doing what's that thing they call DP'd. it deep heat exercise
2: yes I know that deep heat yes. I love the I smell of like deep heat in
1: the morning and the taste is incredible <laughs> as well <laughs> lovely
2: um, right, yes no, no I'm well I didn't go to Disneyland though I did go to see the Prince of Egypt
1: really What? how is he He's, he seems
2: well <laughs>
1: <laughs> running down the wing wow hmm
2: Uh, I meant the new musical. Ah, ah, how how is ah. it? Um, I didn't love it.
0: Mm. Well, it is based on a rather bad film. <laughs> 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 In In
2: it, it, no, but it's weird. It's one of those musicals that uses a lot of human beings as scenery, which I always think is kind of cheating. I'm sorry, what? You know, oh. when you have interpretive dance instead of scenery. So oh,
1: instead no. of a tree, it's someone like some with leaves on with, them dancing. No,
2: like some people with their arms that's out. That's great. Know?
1: That's
0: literally one of the first things when I studied uh, theatre at university along with uh, some other stuff, which <laughs> just and not be a nugget no instead of whatsoever. <laughs> but uh, I, one of the first things you did was learn to be a, a tree. tree. Yeah,
2: I mean, Scarlett Hansen's a great one, but that's not the point. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> just feel, there aren't a lot of trees because you know desert and such but yes I just I, I just find it a little bit um, alienating but what's actually weird is how how little religion there is in it for a story from the Bible and how it makes no sense that Moses is the hero in the story they tell because Moses is terrible and you have a lot more sympathy with Ramses the Pharaoh which I think you probably shouldn't you know again biblically speaking. Mm. So I just find it very odd. But it's, it's a very
0: strange film to choose to base a musical on. I mean Is this like a, a DreamWorks affiliated in yeah, some? Yeah it does way? Like, it
2: has the big song, you know. Yeah. So I mean the the songs weren't they were the songs weren't great.
0: I, I barely the remember film. the film, in yeah. fairness. But okay. But that's that's interesting. Obviously there's this trend, isn't there, of, of Mm. Musicals being based on movies, but they usually are really good movies. There, you um, know.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, it's it, it. There are a lot of fans of it. There are a lot of people who love that movie. I have okay. discovered since talking to people about this. All right. Um, so fair play to them. I I don't love the movie. Uh-huh. And I thought there were some really good bits in this musical, but maybe not quite a whole great musical.
1: I believe Amon said something on the lines of Prince of Egypt is a classic when referring to the film. Well, he's that that generation.
2: He's that generation. He grew up with it. Mm. And also, to be fair, like it is one of the very few um, animated films. Somebody pointed this out recently on Twitter. It's one of the very few animated films with people of colour in the leading roles who are not transformed into animals at any point.
1: That's a very, very odd slice of Venn diagram.
0: When you go, I'm serious, though. That would be like a genre on Letterbox. You go on Letterbox <laughs> yeah. and sometimes films in which there are people of colour who are not turned into animals. It no, like, Prince of Egypt and maybe one other movie. There's
2: like all of these other animated films with people of colour in the lead roles and they get turned into animals. And it's like, it's a weird subsection of animation. Okay. Obviously, The Princess and the Frog being a good example. Oh,
0: yeah, example. yeah. But, but that, yeah, it's based on a f- yeah, fairly famous story in which someone's turned into a frog sure. right so if you change that i mean you'd have to call it something else for a start. you could
2: call it well no but in fairness <laughs> the prince is only turned into a frog in the story okay whereas spoiler for the princess and the frog both of them are turned into uh, frogs in this story
1: again i'm not that familiar with the movie is i'm there, waiting is for the amphibious action is that what you're saying
2: do you know what that's the, my other big issue with the prince of egypt there wasn't a plague of frogs
1: wow I was uh,
2: like, if what is even the point of me being here if there isn't going to be a plague of frogs?
0: The Magnolia musical down the road <laughs> took all the frogs, <laughs> I'm afraid. Oh, my Can God. you imagine a Magnolia Can you imagine musical?
2: imagine a Magnolia Respect musical?
0: Respect the
1: cock w- and tame. Okay. The uh, yeah, okay. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway moving <laughs> hastily on. Um, hastily what on. was the I best just,
2: ride in Disneyland? Oh, yes, you were, uh, where Disney were you? Disney World, Helen. Disney
1: World. I w- I'd go big or go home. So, yeah, I went to, went to the mothership in Florida, and uh, it was very exciting. i did of Universal, course. Universal, obviously, as well, which has the Harry Potter stuff. Brilliant. Harry and if you're a, Potter. Harry Potter. And if you're a Potter stan, that's very exciting. The best ride at Universal is Hagrid's Wild Ride or whatever it's called. There the stan, is there a stan in Harry Potter? Is there a stand? There's a level. I don't think there's a stan. On the bus. On the bus. What The bus driver stand Oh,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, a bit, he's a bit
1: dodge. I had mm. a conversation with the shrunken head on the night bus, genuinely, at Universal. <laughs> there's a guy who operates it and I think he hides <laughs> underneath the counter and just talks to it and it just throws insults at you quite pointedly. I think it made a comment about my lack of hair. Wow. I mean, he's not Arch. really on to talk. He's he strung yeah. up by his. But anyway. Well, yeah. Um but when I went to Disney, so the the whole big thing is the obviously Galaxy's Edge is why you go. Sure. That's obviously, obviously why I went. And uh, they have the new Rise of Skywalker ride, I think, which started launched, I want to say last year. Okay. It's my new one. And that's the one where it's quite hard to get places on it. So you have to turn up at the park open. You have to have your little app out and you have to be like spamming the button to get in the queue and within three minutes all the spots are gone. So, it's, and that's it. You're done. For, that's it for the day. So, you either get in, get in there get a park opening, this. or you will not get to see the Rise of Resistance. Wow! But I managed to do it because I got there early because I'm me and uh, and it's really like mm-hmm. today.
2: Yes. You're going to say you got there early?
0: Okay, okay, fine. I was
1: late for the podcast, but there, in fairness, <laughs> oh, there was okay. not there was not <laughs> an online queuing system for the podcast, <laughs>
0: Helen. So, Jimbo, um, are, are the rides of Skywalker better than the Rise of Skywalker? That's very
1: good. That's very good, hey. and that's a, a big yes. Um, <laughs> 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 no, it's, it's actually what I would suggest if anyone's going to do this: don't read anything about it because i did deliberately didn't. or listen to a man on to, listen, on no, but i'm on not going to talk about the, okay. like, the mechanics of the mechanics of the ride it's really surprising because it's more of like it's not like sitting in a roller coaster or watch a bit of footage it's like an interactive experience right which involves without spoilers you taking off to go somewhere and then being captured by the first order and then it all becomes quite <laughs> no
2: <exciting from>
1: <laughs> well, well, without spoilers no, and then set setup that's the setup that's, <laughs> the setup. that's <laughs> all you need to know that is a without, setup. Spoilers, without, yeah. <laughs> without spoilers it's
2: sled
0: without spoilers a sled. Sled. Yeah, it's a sled.
2: Thanos uh, gets clicks his fingers. <laughs> Whoa! What? Okay.
1: Hang on, is this an Avengers Endgame spoiler special. <laughs> it was be about oh, the oh God, I'd love an Avengers Endgame ride. But the only downside is, like in Disney World, like the Up and Downy ride, which is the technical name for it, which is, is that the Up and Robert Downey ride. Uh, <laughs> that's the one. Up and Robert Downy ride, which has been rebranded Guardians of the Galaxy in LA, is still Twilight Zone in Florida, which is a real shame because it's brilliant in LA because it's Guardians, but it's Twilight Zone in in, in Florida still. Oh my Why God, are you Twilight that Zone pays? hater. Why is in that face. Oh, I just why twi- this one scares me man yeah, it yeah. well the ride's really scary because it's an up and downy ride mm. uh, so it flies up it flies down yeah, yeah it's, it's full like, on isn't it yeah <laughs> it's a technical term an up and downy up ride and downy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely downy. The Imagineers <laughs> are
0: going this is an up and downy ride that's a twisty turny ride that's a backy upy ride yeah. what a, 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 yeah. do
2: you know I genuinely I can things. do upy downy rides and uh-huh. I can do like roller rollercoastery all over yeah. the place rides uh uh-huh. Put me on one spinning ride. Oh, I'm done for.
1: See, I can do up and downy rides. What I can't do is just downy rides. You know the ones where they go. I'm not just, not just Robert, Robert turns up and Hello, <laughs> <laughs> Ari. Yeah. Um, no, it's just the ones where they go up and then they stop at the top and then they wait and yeah. then they. Oh work. yes. Yeah. And then they drop. I can't do those. But Oblivion. when they're flying up and down, Oblivion. There's one at Thought Park I hate, yeah. called like yeah. the Detonator or something. Just says,
0: "Lidge goes, don't." Look down. And I have a like, massive oh, no, I have yeah, a massive yeah. and crippling fear of heights. And yeah, I love that shit because you're you're yeah. you're strapped in. The most terrifying ride I've ever been on was at Blackpool Pleasure Beach when I went years and years and years ago. And um, I went on this ride. I think it was called the PlayStation at the time. I don't know what it's called now, <laughs> but it's basically a vertical ride, and it seats sixteen people. And you sit on the ride and. Uh, and they pull the, the armrest down around you and mm-hmm. then they, they clip on, you're, you're sitting on a little perch and they clip the, they clip the little belt between your legs mm-hmm. as well. And I'd seen it. I knew what was going to happen, but it's still nothing prepares you for the nothing fact that suddenly you're shot 200 feet into the air. All of a sudden, just straight up, vertically straight up at the speed of light as far as I can tell. <laughs> and... Uh, and it's terrifying and what's more terrifying is at a certain point at the top you stop so quickly you go C-R-O-G. zero g just, oh, a yeah, 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 just yeah. for a second i love those bits and all that's holding you <laughs> in theory in your head is a bit of string is a bit of string between you and certain death as the <laughs> majesty of blackpool unfolds <laughs> in the in the in the distance and uh i was terrified i was so terrified i was worried about
1: pooing myself uh, but then you know you would drop down again and anyway it's a whole thing well, wow there's nothing quite that terrifying on rise of resistance. <clears throat> but I will say, like, as you will know, like when we after seeing Rise of Skywalker, let's shall, shall we say the shine. Someone went off the galaxy far, far away from me for a while. I will oh, say, the shine, as uh, seen of course in Stephen King's Doctor Sleep. Indeed, hey. sponsor of this week's podcast. Very good, oh, excellent, seamless bit bit of synergy, time. extra added value for you there. <laughs> well done, sponsors. That be an extra, an extra ten grand for us. Thanks. <laughs> Just leave it in a Ferrari. But but this genuinely, I was a bit like this. This this made me. Feel, feel the force a bit again which was good oh that's good Yay. that said that's that good. said that said and genuinely the one thing I've never done and what this also kind of reinvigorated for me is as I think I don't think I'm alone in saying there's a little bit of if not apathy a little bit of consternation about the 57 Avatar sequels that <laughs> we'll be getting in the next <laughs> few years and I've been a bit like I always liked Avatar and I've always defended it and I was but I'm a bit like yeah okay sure you know why not but I did the Avatar ride here which has been outrageous I've never done it and oh my fucking god it's incredible And that has made me properly excited. For Avatar two, like oh. properly. Why is it? There's it. It set well, no, 8, 8, a setup. Avatar 9, 10 So it's a banshee ride. You're on a banshee. Like, you're, so you strap into the Avatar machine, and it's like a simulator. So it gets a Do huge. Do you have to plug any bits into uh, some, a tree? Yeah, or don't anything? let you talk about that, Chris. Okay. Um, <laughs> it was very uncomfortable. It was chafing. But uh, but yeah, you're on this banshee, and you're flying around. The music's playing, and you just water spraying on you. It is water, and uh, and you know. But there is a bit where you see the little the little horsey things. I'm sure they have proper Navi names. The oh little,
2: my God, you don't remember anymore. The you were Avatar guy. And I you know, don't I've remember. forgotten everything.
1: No, not the dire horses. I mean, the water, the little, the things that are going to be in Avatar 2, that they ride the little seahorses. Oh, nobody uh, normally gets. Yeah, I'm sure I knew Fine. their name, but I don't now. But you saw them, so that's probably the only time to Avatar 2. But it's, I mean, it's pretty incredible. And was uh, Sam Worthington at the ride can yes. You, yes, take it? <laughs> yes, indeed. He, uh, he, he ushered me to my seat and asked me to remove all loose items of clothing. Not in a... Oh, boy. Not in a me too way. Wow. Just in a, you know, <laughs> safety way. This has gone off the rails a bit, hasn't it? Oh, I hope not. Otherwise, <laughs> there'd be massive fatalities <laughs> yes, and they'd have you. to close a ride. <laughs> anyway, anyway. But, uh, yes. a Ride is amazing. I'm glad Rise you had This a... is amazing. Yes. I'm back and I brought disease with me. Hooray. Hooray. Hooray, Hooray,
0: Hooray, Hooray for James. Hooray for disease. Hooray for... um What is it called? Disney World? Disney World. If you want to know more about that, go to is it google.com <laughs> and uh, and just type in disney world uh, we want to support these these small independent theme parks yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> they need all the help <laughs> they can get um fantastic well well done i, I was really worried about uh, this episode to be honest because last night i was up very very late uh working on our entries for the british podcast awards uh, which took a lot of time <laughs> and uh,
2: how, how long ago was the deadline
0: uh, it's, it, it, no, it's, it, it's it's it's
1: in two hours. Oh, wow. I've two, actually met submitted the it? I've submitted it, yeah See, well, I, and this podcast needs to wrap up because I haven't submitted the pilot entry. I don't and wait, I we, need we, to do it. by have, 12. We, we have to finish by eleven, so it's, okay, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna
0: kick you out by eleven. It's all it's all good. Uh so I was worried that in case the judges drop by this episode just to have a listen to it, that it might not seem that polished what with me asking people <laughs> to write my introduction and whatnot, but you've brought it back. Thanks. Wow, you really, ha- you've, really? You've really No, he hasn't. Uh but anyway, let's move on. And I actually have a question from some listeners. And yes, in the time-honoured tradition, we didn't have one until about <laughs> five minutes ago. Please give us uh, an award. We've got loads and loads of really good questions. Obviously, a lot of people are asking questions about, you know, contagion movies and disease movies and whatnot huh. because, of, because of the coronavirus. Um, we're, gonna, we're going to not answer those questions just at Thank the you. moment, just in case it, be, it genuinely does, you know, turn into Captain Trips and wipe out humanity. But there are Captain other
2: questions. Captain for anybody who hasn't read The Stand, is from Stephen King's The Stand.
1: Are you a stand stand?
2: I love The Stand. Sta- the Stand. You, Sebastian, stands. The Stand. I, I, I stand The Sebastian stand, stand, which
1: stands up. I have started reading The Stand graphic novel. Why? Because well, because I was on a very long economy <laughs> flight to to Florida, and uh, and but I so I started reading that, and then I also, and this will make you very excited, Helen. I have okay. finally, finally got into Sandman. It's only taken me <laughs> a mere like 20, 30 years, but I have finally wow. got into Sandman, and I'm loving it.
2: But you're in time for the Lock and Key Sandman crossover, which I'm
1: to- super hyped for. See, did you watch Lock and Key? Yeah, I liked it. I, I liked it. I enjoyed it in a gentle three-star, it's pretty good kind of way, but it's not great. Did you watch the way. end? Yeah, I watched all of it. Okay. I thought the ending was particularly disappointing.
2: Really? I yeah. thought the ending was good. No, I did and not enjoy it. Hey, I- uh,
1: podcast happening over here. Yes, uh, right. of but, course, so, if you uh, want to hear more uh, about Lock and Key, uh, listen oh to the God. Pilot oh, TV podcast Christ. where we reviewed so
0: sorry. it in great detail. Oh God, if you guys beat us to an award, <laughs> I'm going to kill you. Um, and... <laughs> none of us will be nominated Uh, at Norman Chris 71 there are far better podcasts than this Uh, at Norman Chris 71 what are you doing wasting your time listening to this shit honestly at Norman Chris 71 you know uh, someone on Twitter the other day was complaining about these podcasts that just ramble on for ages and then take (laughs) a long time to get the point anyway Anyway. at Norman Chris 71 and I really hate podcasts like that (laughs) anyway at Norman Chris 71 asks in shower sex scenes how come they never run out of hot water (laughs) Well, they presumably got combination boilers.
2: Combination boilers. This is what I said. When I you mean,
0: this is this is self-evident. Yeah. All right. It's a combi shot. OK. I um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. Let's see. That, that was dealt with really quickly. So I mean, like, appropriately, I'm going to say. Yeah. Uh, OK, here's a good one. This is actually a bit of a more of a, a reflective question. If you're all listening right. British Podcast Awards judges, then this is going to show a more reflective side of the Empire podcast, a more serious wow. side of the Empire podcast First as well. Time for this comes from at Bexter2512. That hasn't helped. <laughs> uh, but. Rebecca is her name. She asks, why is it that whenever you watch a movie back, no matter how many times, you always see something new? Mm. And Baxter, I think you've hit upon something about life. When you look back on your memories you always hit, hit upon something
1: new as well, don't you?
2: That's so deep, I think we've judges. all
1: learned something here today, Chris, <laughs> and dare I say it, grown as human beings. I, I th- think that, that was worth an award. Um, that uh, does, get into it quantum, <laughs>
2: it does get into quantum theory, doesn't it? That you can't both, you can't know what something is and where it is at the same time, right? Because so the for active, example, podcast, you didn't know where I was this
1: morning or yes, indeed what was happening. Exactly.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and... So the act of observing actually changes. Yes, you know you and the thing who watches the watchers, Helen. <gasps> who watches oh, the watchers? So yes. this is uh, it's a really it's um it's a very interesting metaphysical and indeed philosophical question.
0: So what are you saying? Are you saying that by merely watching a film for the fourteenth time that mm. you are you're not observing something that was there all the time, but you are in fact somehow changing? What was on the negative? Yes, because. And implanting something that wasn't there. Because it's going ago. through
2: your consciousness, which is different than the last time you watched it.
0: Um, I was expecting this. <laughs> <laughs> um, can we go back to the shower also, sex scenes? But phase? also,
2: I think it's also World. I think it's also testament to um, really good filmmaking. Does have loads of layers. Yes. Does have loads of detail. Yes, there are things that you will notice on costumes or in the background of sets or around the edges of the screen or lines that you didn't pick up on the first time because mm-hmm. you were too busy laughing at the line before it. And actually, the the, the second line is really good too. Um, so. Yeah, it just you you do picks things up every single I
1: time. I always like it when someone will say something about a film or a piece of art or whatever it is, and fundamentally changes the way you look at it. So this is slightly tangential because it's about a video game. It's a video game called The Last of Us. Yes, I'm a very aware famous of Famous video game, which is of course is very very good. Mm. But the two the, the main voice actors for it did a kind of playthrough of the game, and they talked about it. And the very very last episode, one of them said because a main a main character has her sort of fate sort of play out towards the end and his, oh, yeah. whole, his whole thing was what if she knew all along that that's what was going to happen to her Whoa. what if all through the story she had known that's where it was going and that's why she's so interested in seeing life living life asking about relationships trying to experience everything she can experience in this small amount of time she has left on this earth because she knows where it ends and him that's just planting that seed makes the entire story change when you play through it and you see that in every line of dialogue and every scene and I don't know whether it's necessarily true uh, or not, but that has completely enriched the story for me. That's so- like um,
0: Amber Heard's character in London Fields, who has foreknowledge of her demise Ooh. and lives life accordingly. Mm. She even knows he's going to kill her, but um, she still, you know, hooks up with him. Mm. Like just... Don't do that. that, seems, that, that <laughs> maybe it seems questionable like, like Maybe go to Bora Bora where he isn't going to be. I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah. Or like Dr. Manhattan, of course, who experiences of course. time, uh, past, present, and future oh, at the same so time. So good. That TV show is so good. I'm talking about the, the film, the Superior Sack Snyder. Oh, no, 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 film, no, no.
1: no. Uh, you, do, do you watch the TV show? No, I've got it on my Skype box, but I haven't gone around. it. Yet. There is an episode where uh, Doctor Manhattan is having a conversation in three different timelines at once, and it is incredible and also mind-blowing. Oh, it's very, very <laughs> exciting. Uh, but yeah, I think this is, this
0: is familiarity allows your eye to wander, doesn't it? And uh, obviously there are lots of films that are, that are built for this. There are a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, I, I love movies like you know, No Surprise, that I love things like Top Secret, and oh, uh, an airplane. I was rewatching Gremlins 2 The New Batch just the other day and that is a film that is designed for multiple mm-hmm. rewatches. It has loads of stuff happening on the periphery of the frame um, loads of stuff happening in the background and I, I love things like that so the meticulousness of preparing the gags. Uh, for example notice on this rewatch, it's just a random thing but in Clamp Centre on the third floor of the massive Clamp Centre set there's a, a U-Haul on the third floor. What's it doing there? No one knows. <laughs> Why is a U-Haul on the third floor huh. of a building? I'd never noticed. Just that. little, just little things like that. Just little, tiny, teeny, tiny, small things. Or you'll notice cameos. Yeah, yeah. Or, or you know, if a really, if a director's really on their game, you get richness and yeah, yeah. rewards from repeat viewings. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Johnson for knives out. Did you see this thing he did the other the other day where he did something for Vanity Fair where he did a deep dive into the eat shit, eat shit, eat shit scene, and he's really good on blocking. And blocking multiple characters and 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 how you stage mm-hmm. certain characters in a frame and staging people triangularly so there's always something happening in the background and there's the the portrait of of uh, Harlan Thrombey Christopher Plummer's character deep 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 in the background but is always watching him. things like that that you may not notice first or second or even third time around or maybe not at all until the, the director pointed out <laughs> on a Fantasy on Fair video um, but yeah I think I think that, that that's it that's not that familiarity breeds contempt in this case it actually breeds uh, investigation and, yeah. and, and, and it, curiosity. It gives, you,
2: it gives you the space yeah. to investigate other things.
0: Yeah, I've seen this bit in the middle before. I'm going to watch what's happening on the edges yeah. of the frame. Do we answer that to award-winning I so. standard? <laughs> I feel <laughs> award-worthy. Should I cry? Maybe. I think I should cry.
2: Wait, wait, wait. You'll make my false nose fall off. Hang on. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't know why I thought this would help.
0: <laughs> Precisely. Um, anyway. If you want to have your question read out on the Emperor podcast, and why the hell wouldn't you? If, for example, you're a British podcast awards judge, and (laughs) we would be more than happy to read out your question or read anything and uh, that you you send us uh, so get in touch with us we're on Twitter it's at Empire Magazine use the hashtag EmpirePodcast uh, or chances are we won't see it or again just wait for me to tweet out in a panic three minutes before the show <laughs> you're usually much more prepared than this by the way <laughs> podcast <laughs> awards judges haha <laughs> and everybody um, we we're on we, uh, where are we we're on Facebook as well but nah, no one ever uses no that. No one ever uses that. No one ever uses the world's most popular social network. And then, of course, we're on email as well. Podcast at empireonline.com. So it now seems like a really lovely time to have a word from our sponsor. Before we get into the movie news. Do you like, not you guys, the people at home. Mm. Do you like Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. I mean, I presume you do, Helen. But yes, I do, yes. You do, okay. Jimbo, you've probably <laughs> never seen it. <laughs> I, it's, I it's, have, it's, thank it's, you very it's, much. It's pretty it's good, it's good. You should check it out. Uh, do you like Sandy Kubrick's The Shining? How about Stephen King novels? I know you like Stephen yeah, King I novels. Yeah, I do. All right. Well, if you answered yes to one or both of those questions, then boy, are you in for a treat because Stephen King's Doctor Sleep, a.k.a. the next chapter in the story of The Shining. Oh. <gasps> is finally here for you to enjoy in the comfort of your own homes. Uh, And it's a film that achieves what I thought was impossible. It works as both a continuation of the story and the world that Kubrick established when he adapted King's The Shining all the way back in 1980. And it's also a great adaptation of King's novel, Doctor Sleep, which catches up with Danny Torrance, now Dan Torrance, many years after the horrible events transpired when he was a child at the Overlook Hotel. You know those events... Red Ram, Red Ram, twins in the corridor, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. rivers of blood, room two three seven, room two three seven, yep. dad with an axe, all that stuff, Meep. not good. No, film's good. Yes, events not good. Bad, bad events. Uh, but now Dan Torrance, played of course by Ewan McGregor, uh, is like his father Jack, an alcoholic, but unlike his father Jack, he is clean and sober, and using his ability to shine, his psychic ability to shine to see things that we cannot see, to help residents at the care home where he works to pass over. But then he happens upon a young girl called Abra Stone, who also possesses a shine to an extent hitherto unseen. And he finds that he must protect her from a group of energy vampires. No! Led by Rebecca Ferguson's Rose the Hat. Rebecca Ferguson from the Mission Impossible movies and and not Rebecca Ferguson from X Factor. I feel it's very important to establish that. (laughs) Uh, And so they start on a journey, Dan and Abra, that may, just may, take them back to an old, familiar stomping ground. Mm. But where? But where? Where? Let's hope they don't overlook anything on the way there. Uh, part character study, part spooktastic horror thriller. It is, of course, no surprise to learn that Mike Flanagan, who's one of the best horror directors working today, did the likes of Gerald's Game and the, the Haunting of Hill House on Netflix recently, has delivered a film that blends the very best of Kubrick and King, but which is also very much its own thing. And I didn't think that would be possible. Uh, it's got great performances to boot, And if you want even more of the film, you would be delighted to know that there are almost 30 additional minutes, including alternate and extended scenes, in the limited edition director's cut. And you can see that, as I've already said, on 4K and Blu-ray, TM from march 9th the limited edition director's cut is only available on those two formats by the way and those formats also include a host of special features and other extras and then if you want to wait for the dvd the dvd is out from march 9th it doesn't have the limited edition director's cut but if you can't wait for doctor sleep and you want to see a whole lot of red rum red rum right now then it's available on digital download this very instant just make sure you're not in room 237 when you check it out because bad things might happen happen no. here's Chrissy I'm linking <laughs> back to myself okay so before we get into the movie news it is time to have a guest Hurrah! I don't know how this is gone because it hasn't happened yet Brilliant. unlike Dr. Manhattan I can't see the past present and future simultaneously so I don't know whether this interview with Richard Stanley who is the director of this week's Nick Cage Gonzo Whackfest Color Out of <laughs> Space an adaptation of the H.P. Lovecraft story I don't know how this interview is going to go I think it's going to go super it's well. Happening later on in the day, and then we're going to try and drop it into the podcast, which is maybe why this podcast is slightly late. British podcast awards judges were usually bang on point with this sort of stuff, but Richard Stanley, you know him, burst on the scene years and years ago with uh, the fantastic sci-fi hardware. Then try to make the Island of Doctor Moreau interesting story behind that of course amazing documentary about that if you haven't seen it do check it out and he's been off the radar a little bit but he's back 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 now finally great to see him with color out of space and he came into the podcast booth six hours from now and spoke or is speaking or has spoken to or will be speaking to alex godfrey enjoy enjoy enjoy
3: enjoyed richard stanley director of color out of space welcome to the empire podcast
4: um, uh, huge pleasure being here, sir.
3: It's a pleasure to have you. You were just saying you flew in
4: from the mountains. Yeah, I'm still living in the French Pyrenees near the Spanish border, so um came all the way down from the mountains this morning for the um, UK colour premiere.
3: When is the premiere?
4: That's what? tonight.
3: Oh, right. What are you expecting from it?
4: We've got a, well, a, big, a big show lined up. I'm going to peek around the door and I just want to make certain people are having a good time with it. Have you been in to watch a lot of screenings to see how people are reacting? Yeah, I've been following the beast around the world, which has been very pleasurable and it's always nice when people figure out that they can actually laugh or um, show some kind of emotional response Sort of cinema. Initially people feel a bit cramped and frightened during the first 10 minutes thinking how should we react and then they relax into it and they realize actually okay this is kind of funny it's okay if I laugh. that's yeah. uh, a great pleasure seeing um, the audience um, responding to the beast. Have you had any extreme reactions from people physically? Um. A few folk got sick on the first screening. That's uh, um, partly the um, extreme um, body horror aspect of the movie. Yeah. I do advise people who are um, currently undergoing going chemotherapy or um, have, having issues of terminal cancer to possibly um, stay away from um, the movie. Um, mm-hmm. is- and there's also an element of ultrasound and infrasound in the actual sound design, which is deliberately designed to try and um, get into your diaphragm. So does it please you when you see people being sick? Um, I guess it depends on on, on who is being sick. It's a bit rough if it's your girlfriend.
3: (laughs) Okay. So for those who don't know, this is your first film since, what is it, 92? In terms of feature films?
4: It's been a while since anyone's actually given me my head and allowed me to um, be a writer-director hyphenate again. Yeah. I spend a lot of time um, being a malign influence in other people's work and doing um, script jo- doctoring jobs and mm. rewriting things and breathing over people's shoulders, but it's the, the first time they've really um, let me get my hands back into the toy box. How does it feel to be in that toy box? Yeah, super exciting and um, also slightly disturbing because I'm wondering what's wrong with the world that's allowed this to happen. Right. (laughs) Do you think the world has caught up with you or caught up with Lovecraft? I think it's a combination of both. It's clear that um, H.P. Lovecraft's more popular now in 2020 than ever before since um, the stories were first written in the 1920s and there's got to be some reason for that. It's very strange to me that a um a character who was a, a complete recluse in Providence, Rhode Island in the nineteen twenties, and mm. not a particularly likable man either, someone with some um, different misogynistic racial issues between his work. He's not someone we'd necessarily want to have to dinner or um to want to live next door to. But yeah. why he suddenly um caught people's imagination now, um, almost a hundred years after he's dead is um yeah, it's um, food for thought. So I guess we should we
3: should tell people who
4: aren't familiar with Lovecraft, what's your take on
3: what he did? I mean, aside from problematic issues and, uh, uh, in terms of what you were just talking about, what's your take on his output and what influence he's had on culture in the 20th
4: century and beyond? Well, Lovecraft's primarily seen as a, as a horror writer and a fantasist, but coming out of a 19th century tradition, I think that he um, took the material in a, a very science fictional direction. He he basically gave us a universe where um, gods and demons and aliens and ultra-terrestrials ter- or ultra-dimensionals are all essentially the same thing, mm. uh, and where um, our world has possibly been um, created quite by accident by um, ultra-dimensional Forces That we're um, are barely aware of that could just as easily um, extinguish us without um, even being aware of our presence. Um, on some level, he was an arch atheist and um, kind of created this cosmology as an expression of his, of his atheism and a way of symbolizing the, the vast inhuman forces that he believed were truly responsible for the, the world he lived in.
3: Do you agree with him?
4: um i'm trying not to i'm having something of an argument with lovecraft and um this um color out of space and um which is now the first part of a proposed trilogy we're going to be doing two more in the series mm. is um deliberately going to be something of an argument with lovecraft because um i've been deliberately trying to put my own friends and family into harm's way in the movies. I keep thinking well what if it was um if this was happening to my children or what if it was happening to my mother uh, um, Lovecraft himself really didn't give a damn about um, any of his human characters yeah. and spent almost no time on them. So um, I have been uh, attempting to, um, I guess, um, fly the flag for humanity in the face of um, extinction.
3: <laughs> Good job. So I should just say I was alluding it to it earlier. We should explain to people why you, just briefly, why you've been out of the game. For so long so you, you had your uh, hit with Hardware in 1990 which is a classic whole film you did Dust Devil a couple of years after that and then you were going to direct The Island of Dr Moreau which you did direct for three days and then things took a left turn um wh- how would you sum up uh, what happened there and what you've been doing since?
4: And I guess I just um, got the very worst of the, um, the film industry up against me at that point. I mean, Dust Devil was already a problem because it was coming through Miramax and that film got um, heavily re-edited by, um, by Harvey Weinstein and mm. um, was very hard to see for a bunch of years. So they managed to make it almost impossible to watch. Yeah. Uh, and then um, Island of Dr Moreau, unfortunately, was um, somewhat ahead of its time. I think um, if we'd been attempting to um, make Your version of it, at least... Not, yeah, not I the mean, one that I, was made. I think if had it actually been made in the present day, um, I think people would have found it much easier to get their heads around. Mm. I know at the time people were very freaked out about how come this thing's full of dogs, of machine guns, and animals um, running operating theatres, etc. But um, nowadays we have um, a raccoon for big machine guns, okay, and Guardians of the Galaxy, and um, yeah, it's much easier for people to accept. I think in a pre VFX world where um, motion capture was um, still um, very much at a fledgling stage people just didn't know what the hell we were doing um, Yeah. And, um, then um all the way through Moreau, there was a problem with um, the powers that be failing to understand that the monsters were the um, the, the lead characters, yeah. uh, and instead obsessing over the um, over the human stars um, to the point where um, the entire production started to sort of circle around Val Kilmer, who was really only playing the mad doctor's assistant, yeah. and should never have been wielding the amount of power that he actually had on the um, on the production. Yeah. It's a bit similar to say if. Um, you know, Sam Jackson had taken over Jurassic Park or Bob Peck had taken over Jurassic Park one. It was super strange that um, the entire movie was eventually stolen by the lab assistant.
3: Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, briefly, you, um, you, you did a few days' direction on that film. Uh, there was lots of chaos swirling around you. Um, you were booted off and went to uh, exist in the rainforest, I believe, for some time, and then c- kind of was smuggled back onto the set.
4: Yeah, the, the, the Island of Dr. Moreau production was so so insanely chaotic that um, any number of people were getting fired off it and then getting rehired back onto it again by different departments. So um, uh, after I'd ended up in the rainforest, I was um, basically um, pulled out of the forest by a bunch of extras um, who were playing beast people on the movie, which had been um, rebooted. It was about um, three months after. The um, the main extra guy who found me, Lewis, had uh, started on art department, had gotten into a fist fighting art department, been fired off art department, been hired back on as a driver, right. had been driving Farooza bulk when Farooza tried to escape from the production and asked him to drive her to Sydney which was on the opposite side of the continent, right. which he did. And then he got fired for that. And then he managed to get rehired as a beast person. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, mate, just put on the dog mask and come back on and get rehired and I'll notice. Which um, is exactly uh, what I did. Are you in the film? Yeah, I am in the film. I play a, a, a sort of melting, blurred bulldog that's um, kind of capering around in the background. Right. <laughs> Perfect. So basically, so that was what,
3: 94, 95? It's been a long time um how long has this been bubbling up color out of space i mean you've been in lovecraft a lovecraft fan
4: almost your entire life is that right Yeah, I I got Lovecraft very early, I got indoctrinated into his world as a sort of seven or eight year old by my mother, who was a a big, big fan, and um, I was probably graduated onto the role-playing games and um, comic books by the time I was 12 or 13, and being a precocious kid had a a strong working knowledge of the Cthulhu mythos, Mm. and had been collecting Necronomicons all my life, and um, at some point after Dr. Moreau, when um, there was no real Reason to do any more work. I, uh, New Line Cinema had to pay me very handsomely to um, mm. get me to shut up and go away. I had to sign a non-disclosure uh, um, deal, just to, and promise never to say anything about what happened. But in return, they um, paid me sufficiently well that I didn't need to work again. So um, that gave me the opportunity to um, simply go off and um, pursue my own interests. And, um, if I can't um, write and direct. Um, sci-fi horror movies, then I might as well live in one, right. so I ended up um, living in the single most Lovecraftian place I could possibly find in the um, in the French Pyrenees, yeah. which was a, um, <clears throat> a small village that had been cut off from the outside world for about seven centuries, and, um, where the first tar road into the valley had been cut in the 1960s, and the whole place was still yeah existing in... Um, some previous time period. So I um, yeah, moved in there and um, made it my home. And then various visitors started remarking that this is just like an H.P. Lovecraft movie and hmm. why don't you um, shoot um, the Dunwich horror or something which could uh, use this location. Yeah. So um, I initially put together a short film, um, a short called The Mother of Toads. Right. I made a crapaud that became um, the opening segment in an anthology um, named The Theatre Bazaar that came out a few years ago. Um, It was the backers of the Theatre Bazaar who liked what I did with Mother of Toads and said, hey, you should um, write a feature length one, Mm. one that's set at a similar location and which um, goes after the Lovecraft story. So I sat down and started drafting Colour Out of Space.
3: And so I I can't, I have to ask, um, apparently Mother of Toads was scripted by a Ouija board. Uh, What is the truth there?
4: Um, that's exactly what happened. We were screwing around um, with a glow-in-the-dark Ouija board we had ordered from Toys R Us, yeah. uh, which was just too good. I couldn't believe that Toys R Us was selling a glow-in-the-dark Ouija board to begin with, and <laughs> we were bored and we were in a, in a super creepy place, so we asked the Ouija board what to do with the evening, and the the Ouija board came back with, make mother of toads, shoot mother of toads, and um, we didn't know what that was, and it turned out to be a, an obscure short story by Clark Ashton Smith, which um, we hunted down and then um, I got back to the WeDrop board and said, okay, I read it, I don't really like it. What should I do? Uh, And um, it then gave us very specific directions as to how to um, adapt it into a short film. It said, don't be faithful to the story, modernize it. Start the first scene with two Americans trying to buy earrings at Mirapur Market and gave us some very precise directions. So as a joke, we um, simply um, wrote it down and proceeded with it. It seemed like a thing to do. Then um, we got the, um, the money to shoot remarkably quickly um, and, um, that really was the thing that um, drew attention to the area and the idea of trying to um, shoot um, Lovecraft's um, Arkham County thank god for Toys R Us yeah and rest uh, in I, peace Toys R Us yeah was, I, I don't know where I'm going to get another one from right <laughs> okay so
3: and then Nick Cage comes into the picture was that um, I, I, so this film was produced by Elijah Woods company SpectreVision um, did they got Nick Cage involved right
4: yeah, this came off the back of Mandy. Okay. There was a, a point on Mandy where um, Nick was talking with Josh Waller, the principal producer. And, um, Josh was fishing as to what other projects he could do and realised that um, Nick was A, a Lovecraft fan, uh, and, um, B, was keen to um, do something about the, um, the nuclear family mm. to go after some kind of... Um, Ordinary people type um, nuclear family story about a family being torn apart by tragedy or trauma. And, uh, the mm. script seemed to uh, tick both those boxes.
3: And what did you think when Nick Cage came into the equation? Were you happy with that as a casting for what you'd written?
4: I think it was excellent casting for what I'd written, but it was so the whole um, event was so goofy that um, I didn't really believe it. After um, 20-odd years out in the wilderness, Mm. getting the initial call from um, Nick in the um, the bar in Nevada, I thought, okay, well, that's far out and strange. And then I think I went outside and smoked a joint with my cat and the shooting stars and kind of forgot it had happened. Uh, um, Your cat smokes joints too? No, but uh, she's she's good company. Right.
3: (laughs) Okay. What was he doing phoning you from a bar in Nevada about this? It's not the way Hollywood meetings usually happen.
4: No, but um, I think that spectrevision realized that this was the only way that um, they were going to be able to get Nick to actually commit to the project, was to um, really force the decision. Right. And, um, the principal producers got in their car in um, Hollywood and drove physically drove to Nevada and uh, met with Nick in a bar someplace, and they physically dialed my phone number in France and put the handset in, um, in Nick's hand to make certain that the, um, the telephone call happened.
3: What did he say
4: to you? Um, he mostly talked about how much he wanted to, uh, there to be a pink mantis in the movie. Right. <laughs> which only added to the level of surrealism. And the, the, the first two phone conversations we had were both almost exclusively about the Glow pink mantis. Right. Um, this is because we'd used a lot of thermal images of... Um, of day-glow animals and heat, um, th- um, sort of heat-vision images of flora and fauna in the lookbook. Yeah. And Nick had fixated on this one um, hot pink mantis image from the lookbook, which um, he insisted had to be in the movie. And um, after the first two phone calls, the producers came round and I, I wrote a, um, a hot pink mantis into the movie in order to um, make certain that box was ticked. So that's what it takes to get Nick Cage in your film, take um, note. Yeah, that was super strange I, I have still no idea what it was about the mantis, so I mean I suspect it had some kind of um talismanic quality or that it was a, a lucky symbol to to him or to uh, or to one of his friends right
3: <laughs> it's would you say he was a kindred spirit
4: um definitely I think that when it came to the uh, to actually doing the work uh, Nick's got a very um sort of morbid ap- uh, apocalyptic sense of uh, black comedy which I think is mm. very very similar to my own uh, Underneath it all, life—the whole movie for me, like everything I do—is a a kind of hellish um, black comedy.
3: Have you got a common interest? Did you and him discuss things that you were both into?
4: Yeah, um, um, Pink Mantis. um, Nick Nick suddenly. Got a um, a long career ahead of him in the um, in the genre. If this is a path that he um, can t- chooses to go down, I'm very happy that he's stepping away from um, his traditional action hero, um, romantic leading parts, and is leading more heavily into um, crazed character work, because I think there's uh, he has something of. Um, of an old-fashioned genre star about him, I think Nick could be Vincent Price if he um, mm. keeps going down this way. There's also aspects of um, Klaus Kinski and, uh, and and Brando in terms of the way that um, you, you just can't quite see where he's going, with, um, which I think keeps some um, scenes lively. I can never really tell um, I- I exactly where a sequence is going to go when Nick Cage is in the, um, the lead. um, given that he's making about three or four movies a year at the moment, I think we're going to be um, seeing a lot more of these over the, the next few seasons. Well, he's incredible, and he's incredible in this film. I'm really glad you two have worked together. Mm, I mean, um, Nick's got a lot of ambitions. I know he wants to play Captain Nemo and would love to do a 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea reboot, and he'd also really love to reboot Reanimator. animator Nick's got a, a great desire to be a Herbert West reanimator. I'm just putting this out there in case anyone's listening. All
3: right, <laughs> they
4: are. All
3: right, well, we're going to have to wrap up, but thank you very much. That was fantastic, and congratulations on such a great film. I'm
4: glad it's doing so well. Oh, thank you, sir. All right, Joy being here.
0: All right, so that was, is, will be Richard Stanley. And now it's time to talk about movie news. And thankfully, there is no movie news really to get into. There is such a
2: big story, though. Chris Evans. It's playing the dentist. How do you lead with this? (laughs) I mean, nothing more important has happened this week. Nothing more important. This is like this is like amazing. This is a chance for him to combine all of that knives-eye energy with all of that Scott Pilgrim energy. And then Sing, I'm so here for it. It's you know, basically
0: Lucas Lee the musical.
2: Lucas Lee the musical. Little Shop of Horrors is my favourite musical ever. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm very much here for this.
0: Have you... Uh, I rewatched Little Shop of Horrors the other day. Mm. Um, my wife had never seen it. And what? Yeah, she, she, she... Chris. She thinks she may have seen it. Bits were familiar to her as she was watching it. But mm-hmm. we rented it on um, a popular... Rental service. Others uh, are available. Others are available. I haven't named it, so yeah, no, but, <laughs> but so. others others are available. Um, and we. W- and I thought this is terrific. It's amazing. This is, this is absolutely terrific.
2: I mean, it doesn't need a remake, but I'm but I'm I'm here for it. I'm I'm yeah. going to allow it.
0: So we talked about this a little bit on the podcast a couple of weeks ago when this when the news broke about this because Taron mm-hmm. Egerton is in talks. Nothing's been locked down no, no, as far nothing, as I can no. see. So Taron Egerton's still in talks to play Seymour, the mm-hmm. Rick Moranis character in the original, which is of course based on the. The Broadway, off Broadway, off Broadway musical, musical by Famous Howard Ashman movie and movie Alan Bats. Menken,
2: Seymour <laughs> Krelborn. Ah, yes, actually. <laughs> um,
0: uh, so. The, I think Tara great casting and they were yeah. talking about Scarlett Johansson as yeah, his girl, as Audrey. Or girl, girlfriend Audrey but now hearing Lady Gaga maybe in the mix
2: Lady Gaga
1: Lady Gaga that, she's a apparently good in Dune if uh, yesterday's uh, uh, music video is to be believed <laughs> today's so, music video is it today yeah. yeah Oh, I saw the teaser for it yesterday and I was like wow Dune has taken a whole left turn that I didn't see coming yeah she Fair has yeah, that's yeah. full
0: Gaga in, yeah. that, in that video it is properly
1: Gaga um,
0: so I think having rewatched it you know obviously you know the mm. character better than, than I do but the character Audrey I think Gaga may be a better fit
2: I actually uh, I'm inclined to agree with you yeah I think
0: and I think she is. what a voice
2: yeah you I mean did you have you seen ever the uh, performance that she gave at the age of like 60 something with Jake Gyllenhaal Ellen Green. As, as Seymour yeah Ellen okay. Green from the from the 1986 musical yeah um, so started she started off at Jake Gyllenhaal in like a you know one night only maybe Broadway yes performance. She, she reprised it yeah she's yes. unbelievable
0: now it's interesting and, and uh I had some issues with her character choices what? She, but when she starts singing yep. Wowzers. Yeah. What a voice.
2: Oh, she's incredible. I love her and I love everything about her character. And there's rumors as well and um, Billy Porter would be um, Audrey 2 Audrey 2, the plant yeah,
0: not Audrey Tattoo yeah. no
2: <laughs>
5: that'd
0: be, that'd Audrey. be confused
2: <laughs> Audrey 2 and Audrey Tattoo are very different very different very different, different.
0: Very different. Um, although they both
2: look good in green so indeed
0: so the original film directed by Frank Oz is yeah. an absolute blast it's 93 minutes long as well so if you haven't seen it check it out it's great uh, but for me you know it's Miranda's is great Ellen Green sings brilliantly and she's good I just oh, have some issues so maybe we'll get into it one day on, on another thing it's not disrespectful, disrespectful. Um, but The standout role is the dentist, Oren Scrivello?
2: Scrivello, yeah. DDS. Oren Scrivello, DDS.
0: DDS, sorry. Sorry.
2: (laughs) Sorry, doctor. Sorry, doctor. (laughs) Played
0: brilliantly by Steve Martin Mm. in one of the great cameos. Bill Murray, also a great cameo in that Well, That's uh,
2: that's a bit written for the film, which is the... um, (laughs) So he's a sadistic dentist. That's really important to make clear. So this is is the Chris Evans role. A really sadistic dentist. Um, And... uh, and Bill Murray plays a masochist who comes in for dental surgery and is delighted to be treated by a sadist. And it really, really throws <laughs> it's the doctor. Out. He's <laughs> just like, why aren't you upset? And Bill Murray's basically asking for more, more yeah. Yeah. and loving it.
1: Yeah, it's, it's it's great. James looks singularly unconvinced by this I whole thing. I watched Little Shop of Horrors when it first came out. And I remember, and obviously he was quite young, being rather unimpressed by it and I've never revisited it since.
2: You are a fool and a bounder and you need it's to do that. It's entirely
1: possible. You, I do need to rewatch it. You like musicals, it's got it. great songs, No, yeah. I you like, hate comedy.
0: Difference. <laughs> okay.
2: Yeah, it does have of great course. songs though. This is, I mean, this is the original Alan Menken, Howard Ashman musical and it got them the work then that they did for like Little Mermaid and yep. Beauty and the Beast before Ashman's sad early death. But it is, absolutely both of them working at, at just peak levels the, the, the lyrics are hilarious it's such a funny show I love it this the, will be there the might second... have been some other news this week there I might have been we'll, we'll
0: get that in a second because this is really good casting isn't it I mean, and mm. this will be the second time that Chris Evans has performed an Alan Menken number or performed in an Alan Menken number uh, more accurately Star-spangled man, Helen. In, oh, yes! In your, that's in your fave, Captain America, The First Avenger. That's right, I There is? he is. Uh, that's a great number. But yeah, this is really good casting. I have to say, someone Th- has suggested Jake Gyllenhaal. The- for I mean, this and I couldn't get out of my head
2: uh, he would be he would be good somebody yeah there, there was a discussion online about whether Chris Evans is the wrong kind of hot for this role and there is an argument to be made that he is the wrong kind of hot for this role and what? that Jake Gyllenhaal is the right kind of hot for this role
1: I'm sorry I'm confused I
2: mean it's very hard to describe but it's basically like hot but w- like the dentist should be attractive but also like really obviously sleazy uh-huh. um, which arguably so Chris Evans not you're saying
1: Chris Evans is too wholesome
2: he can be but at the same time he can be very much not so I think he'll be fine um Uh, This is also the role, by the way, that Jack Nicholson played in the original movie in the non-musical Little Show of Horrors back in the, what, 50s? 60s. 60s? 60s. Mm. Um, So, yeah, anyway, I'm just super here for this film, even though it is a remake of something that doesn't need to be remade.
0: Directed by Greg Berlanti, who is known for his work on the DC TV shows like Arrow and Flash. Arrowverse. Indeed. All right. Very much looking forward to that one. And clearly Helen is, because uh, somehow that is the biggest news story this week for Helen. (laughs) Not Steven Spielberg leaving Indiana Jones 5 and entrusting it to possibly... James Mangold, oh, no, 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 no. Chris Evans playing <laughs> a dentist and singing, that's the big one.
2: That's also, I mean, this is also news, I it, guess. I guess it's news. Guess.
0: So, yes, unless you've been buried under a giant rolling boulder uh, this week, then you may have missed the news that Steven Spielberg, for It Is He, the director of all three Indiana Jones movies, uh, has decided to not direct Indiana Jones 5 despite the fact that we believe it's just a few months away from starting up and that's certainly what Harrison Ford's been saying in interviews uh, although his his accounts have been contradicting themselves Mm. Um, so if you believe Harrison Ford they may be two or three months away from starting this thing with a release date of next year in mind And Steven Spielberg has this week, it seems, again, nothing's been officially confirmed, Mm. but has decided to not direct this movie and bring in some new blood. And so they've asked James Mangold, and James Mangold is currently in talks to direct Indiana Jones Mm. 5, which we talked about last week. Yeah. And we were all slightly sceptical about
2: the the film. I mean, yeah, I I remain sceptical about whether we need another Indiana Jones movie at all one. a fourth one at all <laughs> um, and you know me I absolutely adore Spielberg and I I, I think we came down on the in, in Spielberg we trust position um but, but he, he, well, <laughs> yeah, but he does remain aboard as a producer so perhaps we still have to do that um, I mean I also think very very highly of James Mangold I mean obviously we, we've spoken to him a lot on this podcast but I, I think he's a really really classic filmmaker I think he has um not to say he doesn't have his own style and his own preoccupations because he does but he can turn his hand to multiple genres he has that ease he has that fluency um He's just a real, I think, expert filmmaker. So if you're going to hand over to someone, it makes sense that he would be that guy. Um, I, I just, you know, my only real concern is, do we need another Indiana Jones movie? And, and is is it really an Indiana Jones movie without Spielberg actually that's, in the director's that's chair? That's the
0: thing. Because obviously he's handed over stuff before. I mean, he didn't yeah. direct any, well, he directed The Lost World, Jurassic Park, but since then he mm. hasn't directed any of the Jurassic mm. Park movies or the, or the sequels so he but it's interesting why is he doing this Uh, we shouldn't speculate obviously on the reasons Uh, maybe he's busy I'm about to (laughs) maybe he's busy with West Side Story but this is a man who made Jurassic Park and Schindler's List pretty much at the same time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then obviously Amistad and The Lost World Jurassic Park less of an achievement (laughs) possibly but hey come on Maybe he's got too much
1: in his dance card. Mm. Maybe he does want to hand it over to some new blood. But it's uh, an odd thing if your dance card is so to be this to be the thing to set aside, because it feels like he's, he's anything, talked about this for a while, hasn't he? He's been talking about this for years. Yeah, but it's like it feels like. Why do this if it's not a passion project? Mm. You know, if it's not a passion project, if you're not so committed that you must do it, why do it at all? Because it is, on paper at least, an unnecessary film. And yes, you could argue that it would be nice to send off indie properly. That the fourth one we don't talk about for that to be the sort of the final instalment in the Indiana Jones saga would be a shame. So I like the idea of maybe sending him out on a high and doing something that maybe makes us, you know, something on Last Crusade level would be perfect. But yeah, the last, the last one, the the last Last Crusade. Mm. Um, But if if he Is going to set aside, if he's saying, well, you know, I've got a lot on my plate, this is the one I'm going to let go, don't do it.
2: But then maybe it's not his choice to do it or not.
1: Very true. I imagine when Lucasfilm was sold to Disney, part of that was there can be more Indiana Jones. They were like, yes, we will make more Indiana Jones. So absolutely, Mm. it may in time be not his decision.
0: But they have said for a long, long time, I think even Harrison Ford said that no one else is going to play Indiana Jones other than me. Mm. But I'm almost at the point now where I'm going, at some point they're going to revoke that. At some point... There's going to be an Indiana Jones who's not Harrison Ford. Maybe it should be now. Maybe I, I'm, I'm kind of with you in this. I, if, um, if if if, mm. if Spielberg's walking away from this, I don't know. Like how 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 quickly can Mangold come in? How much influence can he have? He's been in this situation before, of course. He took over the Wolverine at fairly short mm-hmm. notice from Darren Aronofsky and put his stamp on it. But then it was the next one after that, of course, Logan. That was really the the James Mangold film. I don't know. I'm, what if this I'm is the Logan
2: version of Indiana
0: Jones? <laughs> Remember we said that in last week's podcast someone pointed out that I, I went they're not going to Logan Indiana Jones 5 and then they hire the director of Logan. Yeah. But the thing about Jim Mangold is that he doesn't make the same movie twice. No he does not. So Logan is hugely different to the Wolverine even though it's playing with the same character but he doesn't really do the same film twice so I can't imagine that they would bring him on that he would agree no. to Loganify Indiana Jones. Oscar. But you know I don't know. A really elegaic death march might be <laughs> a nice billion-dollar grossing elegaic death march might be the way to go for for the character. I don't know. I just I I'm always happy to see Harrison Ford. I'm always happy to see mm-hmm. him playing one of his iconic characters. I think Jim Mangold's one of the best directors around. So in theory, this should be fine. Uh, and obviously Spielberg on an Indiana Jones movie is no guarantee of quality, as shown with The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. The what yes. one? It's the fan movie that came out a few years ago. Oh, yeah. um, but at the same time, you're right. Does Jim Mangle, for all his great strengths as a director, does he have the visual acuity that Steven Spielberg has? You know, is is he the director who could do something like the transition from the Paramount logo to the the mountain at the beginning of Raiders, or the transition to the Gopher at the beginning of? Okay, maybe not that one, <laughs> but there's loads of great shots in the Raiders movies, and Spielberg has a visual imagination that is pretty much unlike any director in in history of cinema. And if you're going to someone else, you're not going to
2: get that, right? I mean, let's hope. But, yeah. yeah.
0: So we've gone, from a, we've gone from a movie that might once have had Lucas and Spielberg and Harrison Ford involved and would have felt really like the gang's all back together again. Now it's going to be just Harrison Ford. I'm also worried he's going to look around and go, where's my mates? Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, Where are my pals? Oh, a little image of a little lonely Harrison Ford all on his own. A single tear rolling oh, down his
0: stubble cheek. A single cheek. man
2: tear. Oh.
0: But yes... Every day's Christmas Eve.
2: Every day's Christmas Eve and we've got to hope for the best. Absolutely. Indiana Jones, man. Come on.
0: Indiana Jones. Um, So good news, guys. I am very much hoping Mm -hmm. that I'm going to get on set of Snake Eyes starring Henry Golding. So let me just take a look here at some uh, more news stories. Oh, Snake Eyes starring Henry Golding has wrapped production. Right, well, that's that's (laughs) that done. Um, No Time to Die is said to be the longest James Bond ever. Now, this has not been confirmed yet. goody. (laughs) (laughs) it's going to be two hours and 43 minutes long Helen apparently 163 minutes
2: I mean I think I'm on record on Twitter as saying unless Cap turns up with his beard that's too long Mm. there is no
1: it did give rise to one of my favourite tweets of the week which is you expect me to talk no Mr Bond I expect you to sit there for 147 minutes so (laughs) and what was your favourite tweet of the week very good (laughs) oh was that that it yes oh wow you made me laugh Okay. maybe it maybe love more than it should but it did <laughs> so credit to whoever came up with that but for me not from chris <laughs> I, I don't understand why you laugh uh, it is it's something, something you can do. Yeah. <laughs> um
0: yeah, I'm. That's listen. Proof of the puddings and the eating and all that. Uh, movies should be as long as they need to be. I like I'd, long films. Yeah. I'm happy it's long. I will enjoy its longness. Don't you think that?
2: <laughs> <laughs> as the actress said to the bishop,
0: most Bond films, as I know, having done uh, a Bond a back in 2006, most Bond films clock in around the two hour mark. Yeah. So this is not.
2: It's quite a lot longer than two hours. <laughs>
0: but if they're trying to wrap everything up, if they're trying to give Craig a, a, a farewell, a bit of a send off, and then you know they're going to give Leonard Roster his as well, and they're going to give you know Ben Wishon, Money Penny, mm-hmm. you Naomi know, Harris. And they're going to give
2: Ben Wishaw Money Penny. They're going to give goodness. Ben Wishaw
0: Money Penny. I know it's controversial. <laughs> wow. uh, you know it's maybe reductive, <laughs> yeah. but uh, there you go.
2: I'm not sure he'd want to.
0: No, I don't think so. But uh, they're, they're going to give uh, all these characters send-offs and, and arcs. And so maybe maybe it's like Lord I mean, of the Rings. Maybe yep. the ending yeah. is like 25 minutes long, just people saying <laughs> goodbye to Bond.
2: <laughs> I mean, look, it, it could be great. It could be a great movie. Let's um, hope.
0: Let's hope. And when so, <laughs> it's very, very in the tank for this movie. <laughs> you can tell. Oh, so in the tank. But yeah, you can tell it was a long film because every time your lead character introduces himself, it takes 10 minutes. <laughs> Name's Bond. James Bond. And that.
2: With a J, yeah, with a J. You know, you write that down.
0: <laughs> Bond, B O N D. James, J A M. James is unimpressed. Anyway, anything else in movie news? Before there, we wrap it up. There may be some
1: Star Wars news. What? Yeah, is, what is it? Did you cover the J D Dillard news last week? No, because it hadn't broken before we. Well, J D Dillard uh, may be directing a Star Wars movie. Excellent. I have two questions. <laughs> yes. Who is J D Dillard? <laughs> J D Dillard. Mainly that is is both, my <laughs> both my questions. Both my questions. Who is J D Uh He did uh, the Blumhouse film Sweetheart. Uh, beyond that, I don't know what else he's done. Uh, but he, he's he will be working with Matt Owens, who I think is screenwriting on this, and he <laughs> he worked on Luke Cage and the Defenders on Netflix, which is maybe not the best calling card, but. I mean, the first half of Luke Cage was really good. It was, yes. The first half of it was excellent. And the first none of the Defenders was really good as well. So that was... Uh, oh, that's, that's harsh. It's, it's only a little harsh. It's true. Um, but hey, look, I'm not going to judge him on, on that alone. Um, so, But there's going to be more Star Wars. What this is going to be, we don't know. But it does come hand in hand with more Star Wars news, which is they have announced a new era for Star Wars, the era of the High Republic. So not to be confused with the Old Republic, which is about 4,000 years before the movies. Uh, okay. This is the High Republic, which is about, I think it's two or 300 years before the Phantom Menace. And it shows the Galactic Republic at the height of its power. Before okay. its decline, before Palpatine, before the Dark Times. I see. Before the Empire. <laughs> and, uh, and essentially it just gives them a new, a new playground to play. And I, weirdly, thought this was very good news. Because I think they have pissed in the pool enough (laughs) in the particular part that they're in. And I think it's nice that they are coming out of the pool and going into a fresh one. (laughs) And uh, this is perhaps not the best metaphor. But I like the idea that they're starting, if not fresh, they're starting a new... Area so where it's it won't sully it, it's existing still timelines. in the same
2: water park, but it's a <laughs> yes, different yes. bit of the water exactly
1: park. Exactly that. that. They've come off one particular, they're out of the kiddies pool now, where right, and having, the having, log having sullied the waters, <laughs> and they've gone into the grown-up pool with the rapids and the wave machine, and they're going to have some fun in here.
2: Okay, I don't think it'll be that growing up. I don't think you're going to see an R rated story. So, this is
1: starting with comics and novels. So, it's not officially been attached to a film yet. There's going to be a period of sort of expanded university typey, you know, roundabout material, which is going to explore this particular area. Mm -hmm. And then maybe they'll do something on Disney Plus on it. Who knows? And then maybe, you know, J.D. Dillard's film will be in this area, in this era. Maybe it won't. But I think coming after the sequels, coming after the Skywalker saga, you know that, that, there's certainly area to explore there but it feels a bit tired at this why point does it have to be and a i think prequel why does it have to no, be no it's so a good this is a good thing and why? then you don't want to play in the period between s- trilogies cuz that doesn't That's work really either because been there and it's, it's really crowded. crowded and i think this is a really good idea it's move away it's like why well, the the most recent series of star trek discovery is such genius mm. because This is a series that was not designed to be an ongoing thing. It was designed to be an anthology. And they found themselves outgrowing the small pocket of free space within the canon that they occupied. And there was no room to grow. So they've now flung themselves into the future. So in this regard as well, I think it's a smart idea. Spoiler for Star Trek Discovery there. Very
4: minor
1: one. To take this series, which, let's be honest, didn't go out on a high, and take it to an entirely new Urine-free pool, but when I and, and panel there, this but,
2: really reminds me. I need one of those Discovery running tops. Sorry, carry on.
1: To the best of my knowledge, this has not been explored. That's certainly, nothing that I've ever read in terms of comics. Or but books. you know, what else hasn't been explored? The, the period after Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, but then you've got to Do deal. That, so you have new territory. Look, let's in, be perfectly which- honest. If you if you play in that bit, you've got to deal with the precedent. Uh, and the canon that has been laid out no, in just, Rise of Skywalker. And it's just like, I don't want any more of that. Make it go away. Do what they're doing. Just skip 100 years ahead. I don't want... They've I'm wiped fed the up prequels clean. that
0: have no consequence
1: and have no stakes. Yeah, but, the, no, but this is not have true. Have you said that Better Call Saul's the best show on TV? <laughs> <laughs> You're a fool. This gets around that. This gets around that because they've already said at no point will this ever overlap with the prequel trilogy so it was never going to come up to that period of time it's centuries beforehand so actually none of it matters all we know for a fact is that the Senate is not going to go anywhere but that's obvious a spoiler <laughs> I'm here for this High Republic for the win fully on board All right. Come although on. I would quite like them to do something on the Old Republic and when I spoke to Cathy Kennedy a couple oh, of years ago she did say that they were exploring potentially doing an Old Republic thing and that might be quite fun too that could be also very be good, different. Yeah. so yeah Republic's all the way New Republic indeed
0: a uh, couple of very, very quick things. So, Jurassic World three has started filming, and Colin Trevorrow, the director, has announced the name of the movie. It is Jurassic World Dominion. I know it was Dominion. an
1: unexpected Deep Space Nine crossover. I, know, and I didn't see that coming.
2: Here for it. Who doesn't love the Dominion?
1: Yeah. does <laughs> it's G- Jurassic World in the Gamma Quadrant. Oh Jesus Christ!
2: What have I done? Obviously, um, the answer to who doesn't love the Dominion
0: is the Federation. <laughs>
1: am I right? Absolutely. I? <laughs> you know,
0: those, those Federation motherfuckers. Yeah. Um, am I right? Am I right? No. Uh, no, no? no. You're getting them confused oh. with the Breen and the Cardassians. Oh, the Cardassians. Uh, keeping up with the Cardassians. Am I right? Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> who, knows? Mm. who knows? Who um, knows? So You're that's such a Gul'dan. That's exciting. Hey,
2: uh, that's flattering. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We've broken Chris. (laughs) Why are you making me cry? I'm trying to see if I can get away with saying the C word and Klingon. <laughs> You're looking it up? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, no, leave it, leave it, leave it, leave uh, it. So that's happening. Jurassic World Dominion. That's very, very exciting. Uh, Eli Roth, this, this dropped last week, is going to direct an adaptation of the video game.
1: <laughs> video game, I world so old. Uh, Borderlands. Yes, I'm here for this. Borderlands is I know loads nothing. Tell of fun. Me. It's demented. It's a space western type thing that involves vault hunters. It's not exactly heavy on plot, the game. It's more about sort of... Uh, it's crazy wacky humour which admittedly isn't normally my thing but uh, really not, I really no. enjoy the humour in this it's fucking demented um, and I think it would be loads of fun but it's also very visual it's, it's quite it, so it's a live action you said it's a live action? Yeah yeah, because it, it lends itself very much to animation because it's all very caricatured the games are but hey I'm, I'm totally here for it mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of Mad Max in space is essentially the the, the game Sounds good. Uh, And
0: then finally, Creed 3 is in development. And Sack Balin, who has written King Richard, which is the upcoming Will Smith movie about Richard Williams, father of Venus and Serena, uh, is in talks to write the script for that. And as you know, I love the first two Creed films. um, Mm -hmm. And I am absolutely on board for that one as well. All right. So that's all very exciting, isn't it? So Jim, you've got to run soon, but... uh, Let's keep you around and talk about Invisible Man. But first, before we do that, let's hear from the star of Invisible Man. Let's hear from the star of The Invisible Man. If you think I have problems saying that, you're absolutely right. And you're about to hear me have problems saying that as I introduce her. She is, of course, Elizabeth Moss, the fantastic star of Mad Men and The Handmaid's Tale. and The West Wing. Really? Yes.
2: Yeah.
1: President's Daughter. President's Daughter. Zoe Bartlett it's
2: where we all first saw her that's right there was a whole kidnapping plot oh, it was very dramatic amazing also she dated Charlie she did she's only ever gone downhill since it's
1: incredible she should have never have gone out with that French guy Jean-Paul oh he was the worst he those was Federation worst. motherfuckers am I right
2: <laughs> no
0: no <laughs> keeping up with the Cardassians huh yeah
2: okay. so close so
0: close anyway She's also the star of The Invisible Man, Lee Whannell's update of the classic H.G. Wells tale about a man who is invisible. of course. You can't see him. Uh, and this is a great... Well, we'll talk about it in a second. But uh, she's fantastic in this movie, by the way. So I went along and spoke to her when she came to London last week. And we had a rare old time. And I hope you guys do too. Especially you, British Podcast Awards judges. Enjoy this one just for you, Elizabeth Moss. Elizabeth the She's crying again, trying to curry favor. Mm-hmm. Enjoy.
5: Do if you're invisible. Uh, Our next project. Okay, bye.
0: Shit, you've seen my questions.
5: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got you. Damn it. I'll just go ahead and answer them if you Damn want. It. Oh, yeah. yeah, go for it. Go for it. Yeah. So, I'm just kidding.
0: No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, listen, my questions are completely cliched and un- unoriginal, but uh, Wonderful. Uh, I will give you a big introduction and then in away we quick will nap.
5: go. <laughs> so,
0: why? So, it's perfect. Just 20 minutes of nothing. Can
5: you imagine? Um, we just don't tell anyone. We're like, it went great.
0: <laughs> what could be more invisible man than just not talking for exactly. 20 minutes and just kind of looking around <laughs> the room. Um, I will give you a big introduction. Uh, here we go. Uh, delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the star of The Invisible Man. Uh, difficult to say. Elizabeth Moss. How are you?
5: Hi, I'm good. How are you?
0: Not too bad. Not too bad. So yeah, you've been asked multiple times about what you would do if you were invisible. So that's immediately off the table. I'm not going to ask that. Don't worry, that's fine. Wonderful. That's good. <laughs> what would you do if people couldn't see you?
5: Oh no.
0: <laughs> Don't worry. Are so, you, trick me. Uh, no, it's not going to happen. just my I Answer
5: is really boring. I can't even come up with anything good. So at this point, it's just like it's so boring.
0: I wouldn't do a junket where I have to answer that question 25 oh
5: times God. in a day. That's what I would do. This is terrible.
0: But watching this movie, I've seen this movie twice now. Uh, it, oh, it's wow. an exhausting process for me watching you. I can only imagine what it was like being you making the movie. Thank,
5: thank you. Uh- <laughs> that, that, that is a compliment. Like- <laughs> believe it. <me. Yes. laughs>
0: yeah. You were exhausted, Elizabeth Moss. It, it
5: to wore you out. <laughs> um, she's exhausting. Meant to be like that? Yeah. Um, well, that's nice. You saw it twice. Yes. I don't think I've even seen it twice.
0: Oh, it's very good. You should see
5: it. I know. Um, I've seen it once, but... Um,
0: <laughs> wait, what was the question? The question was, was it exhausting? Because... <laughs> you, you, because Cecilia is at a, a constant... She's she's either yeah. being undermined by what's happening to her or she's in a state of hysteria. I don't want to give too much away, obviously. Yeah. It's a very... It must have been a very draining experience for you.
5: It was, but mainly because I'm just in so much of it. So it's just like I yeah. didn't have like a lot of time off. But um, the most draining part was when we did the house at the end because we shot in that studio set in the house for like three weeks okay. and we just got kind of stir crazy you know we just got like the last two days of the shoot we left the studio and did some stuff uh-huh. and I remember Lee and I just turning to each other and the director and being like oh my god I feel so much better <laughs> like I thought I was just like sinking into a deep dark depression uh-huh. but really I just didn't want to be in that studio anymore yeah. so that was actually the most sort of quote unquote tiring part But other than that, it wasn't too bad.
0: Was it filmed as chron- really no, a chronologically, chronologically as possible? Yeah. no. Wow, how do you track that? How do you track where Cecilia is at various points?
5: It's like fifty percent of my job. It's uh-huh. a, you know fifty percent is acting, and the other the other part is just keeping track of what acting I've I've already done and what I'm about to do. It's very boring, you know. But it, it really it, we had a list actually that we made of the different scares in the film, so it, okay, so that you could keep track. So you'd be like, okay, this happened. We're on the fourth time that she thinks that something has happened. You know, like mm-hmm. so you could. Keep keep track of it so you could just kind of keep your head in straight
0: oh my god yeah, yeah. Like, a, like a wall chart
5: it was just like in my phone
0: <laughs> <laughs> and now that will be on the DVD yep <laughs>
5: <laughs> everything's in my phone
0: <laughs> um, there's uh obviously you don't see the invisible man in this movie if you did that, that would divide the point of the movie. She'd be a bad but,
5: invisible man. Yeah, but you've had,
0: there's imagine you had whole nights where you had to stare at something, because there's times Cecilia looks at, we're not going to get into spoilers, believe me, but there are times Cecilia looks at something, she feels something, she looks at nothing, and nothing is there, and you have to react to nothing, which I imagine is quite tricky. Um, Bob Hoskins, fairly famously on Who Framed Roger Rabbit, had to look at nothing for months and right. started hallucinating by the end. Uh, he, was, he went <laughs> a little bit Lally. That's uh, so funny. Did you start seeing nothing? Uh, do, are, are you seeing the Invisible Man right now? Is, he, is that why there's two chairs here? <laughs> <laughs>
5: there's two chairs. <laughs> um, no, I... Um, with all respect... To Mr. Hoskins, but um, I mean, it's a, such a great performance in that film. So I'm glad mm. that he he did hallucinate. Uh, yeah, yeah, worked out really well. Good for him. Uh huh. Um, but no, I didn't. I, I kind of felt um, I loved it. I thought it was really fun, and I I loved that I could just use my imagination and whatever I created w- that was there was there, and whatever I felt was over my shoulder was there. And you know, it just it was gave me a lot of freedom. I felt mm-hmm. It was fun.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So you look forward to coming in in the morning then? And- I prefer it. Yeah. Lee, where is he not standing? Where am I? Where Where, where is
5: he not? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's better than working with a shitty actor. (laughs) I've done that too. It's what I was trying to tiptoe
0: around. I was going to go, you must have worked opposite nothing in the past.
5: Exactly. Some actors you wish were invisible. So I think. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's amazing. That is amazing. Not the case in this film. Of course. No, got lucky
5: in this movie, really. I mean, I mean, I've had a luck. I've had luck overall actually but um, yeah this one was great I, Ollie, and Ollie Oliver Jackson who plays The Invisible Man yeah. is so great and he, he's so fun are you going to get a chance to talk to him?
0: No 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 they're keeping him invisible he, for this yeah, one yeah
5: good um, he, he's so great he's so funny and I wish I had more scenes with him I was like damn why do you have to play The Invisible Man? I wish <laughs> we could work together more you know we'll have to find something else to do together
0: absolutely and he's British as, as well I he is. him last year for he is a Brit. House. yeah Mm,
5: through and through.
0: Yeah. So there's layers upon layers there. Yeah, he he's fantastic. Uh, so it's is this for example you you did us last year. You've you've done this now you're playing Shirley Jackson uh, in a movie that's that's coming up as well. Is this just coincidence? Is this a rule of threes? Are you a horror person? What's 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 it the deal? It
5: is coincidence in a way except that I love horror films and I think I kind of am discovering that it's really great resource for me because I also love really dark stuff, dramatic stuff, challenging, weird stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's what horror is. That's what good horror is. So I kind of, kind of like didn't discover that until recently. And now I'm kind of like, wait, what else can I do? Because this is a <laughs> genre that really lends itself to the kind of work I like to do. You yeah.
0: know? So the best horror Also says something Yeah I think so
5: But it's also fun So it's like I don't necessarily Want to do things That just feel like A slog or a lecture Or a morality lesson Like I want to do things That are cool and entertaining While at the same time Maybe having like A deeper message Or metaphor Blah 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 Like so But but horror Is a great place for that Because it it is You know Sort of uh, It's core fun Yeah But then you can also Kind of play around With a bit of something else
0: That's one of the things I I loved about this movie In that Lee has really Captured what it would be like to be on the receiving end of something like this, yeah. where you can't see the person who's making your life hell and how terrifying that would be, not just in terms of physical threat, but in terms of the mental threat and the existential threat as well. You know, yeah. that Cecilia begins to doubt herself and begins to doubt her sanity as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's terrific a uh, twist on it for me.
5: Yeah. I think one of the, or the cool thing I should say about this film <laughs> that I really like is that it's grounded in reality. So there's yeah. no, um, magic there's no element of uh, a superhero or something crazy sci-fi that isn't possible like it's real there's a real man a real threat and a real way of becoming invisible and that we asked scientists like can this happen they were like yeah you could do that
0: oh that's interesting because i asked jason bloomer he had no idea Oh yeah, yeah. that's uh, uh, a, yeah.
5: no. <laughs> which, makes, which
0: makes you think he's got an invisible suit. Yes, exactly.
5: I'm like, no, that makes sense. If anyone has an invisibility suit, it's actually Jason Blum. <laughs> and he's like, nope, not possible. Can't have one. No, um, I don't know if you're going to get a chance to talk to Lee. Yes, but I yeah, have. okay, ask him about it. Yeah, because they went and asked some people and they were like, yeah, you could totally do that. I'm sure the military like already has something like that. Which brings me back to
0: my first question. What would you do if you could be invisible?
5: Yeah, there you go. And look, what I would do is I would go and I would watch actors that I admire <laughs> Not act shitty ones. up close. Not shitty ones. Not no, shitty no, no. ones. No. But that's what I would do. There's my answer. Now you have it.
0: That's, See? That, you wouldn't do that. you rob a bank.
5: I don't need money. I don't need to rob a bank. <laughs> I don't need. Everyone unless needs money. you did it in like a Robin Hood kind of way and you robbed it and then like gave it to the poor or something. Like could do that maybe, but. Yeah, that'd be cool. Maybe I should do that. I'll
0: do that. Maybe you should do that. We we are across the street from a, a branch of NatWest, one of the UK's leading banks. By the way, huh. Elizabeth. So,
5: well, if there's if there's a if there's a robbery at NatWest, yeah, in the coming few hours, and they couldn't see the, they person know where to find it. me.
0: <laughs> Except they won't because you've been wearing Jason Blum's invisibility Jason Blum's <laughs> <laughs>
5: invisibility suit. That's how he makes. As many movies as they do, <laughs> he has an invisibility suit. It makes so much sense now.
0: That's why he keeps the budget to what he does as well. Exactly, so he can save all the money and, and, and spend It'd it on the uh, old invisibility suit. Yeah, yeah, makes
5: sense. He's here right now, probably.
0: <laughs> uh, Jason, what do you think about that? <laughs> what would genuinely, what would you do if his voice came out of that empty chair right now? I would, I would literally uh, jumping uh, right out yeah, of the room. I would, yeah.
5: That's the thing I used to say when we were like when we were making this movie. I was like, if one of these things happened, I would be gone. Like, one of the things that Cecilia experiences. I would not be in that house anymore. I would be gone. Like, the shit that she goes through and then stays in that house yeah. is insane.
0: Yeah. It's incredible, though. It's, it's a really interesting slow burn. Again, we won't get too much into spoilers, but the the way that the Invisible Man undermines her and gets in her head. Uh, There are moments when you're expecting jump scares, they don't come. Yeah. Uh, And then there's a bit in the trailer, I think we can probably talk about it, there is a confrontation of sorts, right about halfway through the film, um, that looked like it was incredibly demanding to shoot, was it? it?
5: Yeah, it was. Um, We practiced that for many weeks and it was really kind of uh, choreographed in the end. We really had it kind of down and we knew exactly what we were going to do. And so we just kind of had to like follow it by the numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did practice it for a long time.
0: How, how did that happen?
5: Uh, how, it was with a know, stunt double okay. Um, in a green suit who gets erased.
0: What have they left him in?
5: I saw a version where parts of him were in and it doesn't look good. <laughs> I got to tell you, it doesn't work.
0: What if Jason went, well, we spent five million dollars in this ran film and we, we run out of money. You're so
5: <laughs> we just
0: have to leave just him in like now. like a
5: floating arm.
0: I guess Invisible Man is just a, a guy in a green yeah, leotard now. And...
5: Invisible Man, except for his visible hand.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, so what, what sort of conversations, though, did Lee have with you about? this movie before you you came on board?
5: Well, one of the things that I really was cool and I really appreciated and, and, you know, sort of absolutely he should have done this, but is he, he really was, he really recognized that he was a man and he wrote this as a man Mm -hmm. and, and that it was about a woman dealing with something that maybe I had a perspective on that he wouldn't have. And so he kind of needed me to sign off on some of the stuff that he had written about what it would be like to get out of this relationship. And what the female experience was, so he was like, "Please tell me, please help me." We we rewrote a couple things together, and he allowed me to give my voice to it, and um, which I really appreciated. And he was very inclusive in that way.
0: Did you talk to survivors of domestic violence for that for for an extra perspective as well?
5: He did, yeah, and he and he shared their stories with me, and he shared what his research was mm-hmm. with me. I do feel, unfortunately, as a as a woman. Uh, 37 years and having friends um, who have had different relationships that I am, I, you know, unfortunately we've been doing our research for a while. Yeah. Um, and I've never, you know, I wouldn't say I've ever been in a situation anywhere near what Cecilia goes through. But I think as a woman, you, you, you can't, you have experienced at some point mm. a feeling of not being listened to or a feeling of, being emotionally abused or being, um, you know, told that you're crazy or, you know, emotional or any of that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, So I think, in a way, I was able to sort of bring some of some of my life to it.
0: Mm. And and what's really interesting as well is that where it starts, where the movie starts, it starts with Cecilia making her her flight, making her escape from Adrian. And Uh I thought it was really interesting in terms of how skillfully you have to sketch in what's happened. You have to sketch in that backstory, all while all while saying nothing as well. That's a really, yeah. really challenging. Scene.
5: Well, we wanted to be really specific about it, just ourselves, so that we knew what it was and we knew what that relationship had been and what exactly the abuse was. Mm-hmm. An audience can tell, I think, if you haven't done that. And so we, even though this film particularly takes place when she escapes the relationship and gets out of it and what happens afterwards, we wanted to make sure that you know, if asked and 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 if we needed to refer to it, that we had a history there that we could refer to.
0: Mm-hmm. Shooting down Australia was that interesting? Because here's the thing about yeah. Australia, it has it's the as far. far. It has the ten deadliest land snakes in the world. Did you know that? Yeah, I okay. think it's
5: like probably also has the or ten deadliest spiders or something. Uh, ten
0: deadliest everything.
5: It's the ten deadliest everything.
0: Why, why would you? Why would you go there?
5: I didn't decide to go there. <laughs> As Jason Blum (laughs) Um, We went there For the reasons That we went there for Um, Which you can probably Guess what they are It's a lovely place
0: Lots of Australian listeners To the podcast Uh, Got nothing but respect for them But that place uh, That'll kill you faster Than a bullet So
5: (laughs) But I think that's more like That's not like Sydney where we were shooting. That's not like that's not like the city. <laughs> like, Sydney's beautiful. Sydney's like San Francisco. It's like, okay. you know, which is where we're supposed to be in the movie. Um, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a city. So, yeah, I mean, sure, if you, like, wander around in, like, the Australian outback or in the bush, uh-huh. like, you're going to have probably situation. <laughs> I remember at one point, actually, I was running through the grass. You know what I'm running? And I'm yes. escaping the house. Yes. And I go over the wall. Uh-huh. And then I'm running. I was running through this tall grass going... Wait a second This is exactly Where the snakes are Yeah This is where the snakes are It's dark And I'm running through This grass In sneakers With like Ankle socks And I was like What are you fucking doing like this is not like no you can't do that and it just you do have to sort of remind yourself a little bit but i've i've shot a lot in australia and i've worked a lot there and i have a lot of australian friends and um
0: and they're all alive that's fine they haven't been bitten by snakes everyone's fine yeah Yeah. maybe i'm I'm over egging the snake problem a little bit just in my head it feels like it's it's a lot
5: i did step on a spider what yeah it was a baby one
0: oh Now it's going to, it's parents going to be after you. Two words, yeah.
5: Wolf spider.
0: Wolf spider. What the hell is wolf spider? Just look it up. I know a huntsman spider.
5: A huntsman's very common. But they're not But they don't kill you. Yeah. A wolf spider won't kill you either, I think.
0: Okay. (laughs) Except these two, these two are like you, motherfucker. Yeah,
5: <laughs> exactly. The mom and dad are after me. <laughs> I stepped in my bare feet on.
0: Oh my god! The baby spider. Okay. Spiders. R.I.P. Baby spider. Yeah. Uh, it was. It was an accident. It was totally fine. Nothing yeah. malicious. No, I didn't involved. want
5: to. It <laughs> wasn't pleasant for me.
0: Oh my God, I'm so sorry <laughs> about that. Um, Elizabeth Moss, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, even though you're a bank robbing spider killer, uh, I will forgive you, and it's been a uh, lot of fun.
5: Thank you, RIP Thank Wolf you. Spider. <laughs> we never knew you. We never knew you.
0: Okay, so that was Elizabeth Moss, and uh, that's that's get Jimbo done so we can... You, so we so can, I can, leave, we can, be can gone. leave so I can um, enter my other podcast for an award. Oh, Jesus. What's the point, mate? I know, I know. <laughs> Whoever wins,
1: no, you lose. Yeah, yeah it's true. <laughs> uh, all right, so yes, Invisible Man. Jim Invisible Man. Man, yes. This is Lee L's adaptation of the H.G. Wells story, which is, I think it's like 123 years old or something insane like that. And this one stars Elizabeth Moth as Cecilia. And the film starts with her leaving her partner, her abusive partner, uh, to start a new life. And and this is before any of the invisible stuff happens. And that particular sequence is one of the tensest things I've seen in fucking years. And the thing about this film, the thing to understand about this film is, yes, it does involve an invisible man. It would be an odd film to have that name if it didn't. But that (laughs) is not where the tension comes from. This whole film is a sort of a parable of... uh, Uh, abusive controlling relationships and domestic violence. It is enormously triggering. That's probably a warning that should be on there. Uh, But even if that isn't an issue that you are particularly sensitive to, this is such a stressful film. And I mean that Mm -hmm. in the best way possible. It is really, really good. But at the end of it, I was physically exhausted from being on the edge of my seat all the way through. It is relentless. It does not let up. And it starts at the beginning with her trying to get away from this abusive partner. And then later on, the abusive partner who is an optics whiz... Uh, may or may not have developed a way to become less than visible um, and it uses a lot of the classic sort of sequences where you know that you see you know you can see in the trailer sort of like handprints breath sounds the sense is he in the room is he not in the room is that a person in the corner is he treading on that thing so there's something very primal about uh, a fear a, thing, a fear of things you can't see it's a fear of the dark a fear of the unknown uh, the fear of the incomprehensible and it really replays plays into this but it also uh, plays on I think people's fear of not being believed, fear of hysteria, Mm -hmm. there's a real gaslighting element to this where he makes her feel she's going insane. And this whole abusive relationship thing runs all the way throughout. And it does have a lot of jump scares in it, and they're very effective jump scares, but this is not a film I think that relies on jump scares, it utilises them. But this Mm -hmm. sense of primal dread that runs all the way through this film is absolutely Genius! It is so well put together. It's so well acted. I think Moss, who has played, you know, a variance on this kind of character—sort of abused, vulnerable, but also sort of tough as old boots and uh, resilient—she really brings to that to bear here. It's a really, really great performance.
2: She and, really, and, really and it has her. to be because for a lot of the film it's basically her and the camera occasionally cutting yes. through an apparently empty <laughs> <Yes>. space <laughs> yes, and exactly. her looking she's terrified she's acting for
1: two yeah, uh, but she really does it and there's this bit where she's, she's trying she's saying she's laying out facts she's telling exactly what's happened but she's red eyed and sounds hysterical and of course it's like no one believes her mm. and you just you feel so much for her in that moment and I will not give it away there is one particular sequence in this that happens in a place to people which is one of the most shocking things it's, i've seen it was so shocking <laughs> so much like that everyone in the screening i was in was just like oh my god so yeah. yes this yeah. this is, this That's is a gasp at that moment it's yeah. a really it really, really is, good film yeah. a really good film though and i can't emphasize this enough i think you know if you enjoy horror great this is this is tension on quiet place levels of tension yeah. but also because of the subject matter potentially very very upsetting as well so i think it's worth bearing that in mind when you go in but i can't recommend this highly enough we mm. gave this four stars and very very well deserved
2: absolutely it's it's a really Interesting way of utilizing real-world fears to make an effective horror movie. So mm-hmm. gaslighting, stalking, um, control, coercive control—all of that kind of feeding into this kind of classic Invisible Man story.
1: Yeah, and I since we that. haven't had anything like this really since <laughs> Hollow Man, which was objectively dreadful. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's nice to see it back. Great REM song of the same name, though. Hollow Man. Really? Yeah. Did it have the Queen song in
0: Invisible Man? Not so great, but the REM song Hollow Man. Very good. Uh, so but the, yeah, I, I, I thought this film was tremendous as well. Uh, Elizabeth Moss is brilliant. Uh, it's very hard to tell whether Oliver Jackson Cohen is any good <laughs> <laughs> the Invisible Sorry, Man. I assume he's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> he's great. What a, what a performance. Um, <laughs> this is one to rewatch multiple times, isn't yeah. it? And see yeah, if yeah. there's little clues in the edge of the frame and then whatnot. Uh, yeah, what a, what a great idea. Mm. Genuinely, because this was floating around for for ages as part of Universal's ill-fated dark universe. Indeed. Uh, oh, yeah. Cinematic universe, uh, which had one entry, Tom Cruise as the mummy, <laughs> and they had cast Johnny Depp, of course, as the Invisible Man, and then the mummy went... Um, Kablooey. Kablooey and and that never happened and I just can't help but feel that that would have been an overblown special effects heavy nonsense mm. this uh, is
2: relatively special effects light I think yeah. he uses them really really well when they need to I don't
0: think he was there quite a lot I think uh, they were just what? pretending what? <laughs> yeah
2: no oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure they had him there and then they just digitally scrubbed him out right? That's let's ask him definitely what happened
0: what do you think invisible man? <gasps>
2: No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> about, I did. I did come out with the funny voice. I did
2: come out with the urge to like wave my arms around me in every direction and make sure nobody was standing there in the <laughs> apparently invisible sp- uh, empty space. But yeah, this is
0: tremendous. I mean, because the the most tales, most versions of this story focus on him and his descent into madness, yeah. mm-hmm. and the fact that this switches it mm. to to uh, to Elizabeth Moss's character is a genius, genius and movie he's from Lee Wannell. And he's a Winnell. dick before he becomes invisible, yeah. so. Yes, he is. Mm. He is. And uh, there's loads of stuff to get into in this movie uh, and yes, we are going to be on a spoiler special on this film. I've spoken to Lee L, the writer-director and Jason Blum, the producer. This is a Blumhouse movie which might explain why there are no special effects in it. <laughs> it's just things on strings and, <laughs> and wires but and the walls the are made of paper. In the best way. <laughs> in the best possible way. It's not Ed Wood. Uh, so i spoke spoken to them about the movie in great detail and, uh, and that's going to be out uh, well e l has asked for a period of grace on that one okay. so that people can experience the movie for themselves so it won't be out next well it might be out next week but more likely uh, the week after that and of course our spoiler specials are now subscription only if you want to subscribe to that, it's very, very simple. Go to my Twitter at Chris Hewitt and check my pinned tweet for details or just go to glow.fm forward slash empire and follow all the, the details there and you will gain access to 100 and, currently 106 spoiler specials and counting, including the Chris McQuarrie, Mission Impossible ones, the Avengers Endgame ones with Kevin Feige, the Russos, Marcus McFeely, all our Star Wars ones, all the Marvel ones we've done up to date, uh, and we're we're hitting you with new spoiler specials constantly, including for Color Out of Space with Richard Stanley as well, uh, and all sorts of stuff coming your way. It's a very very exciting time indeed. So do sign up for that if you if you fancy it. glow.fm forward slash Empire Film. But yes, four stars for The Invisible Man. It is an absolute belter. Jimbo, fuck off. Become I am the now Man. going to go
1: and do my awards entry. Please, awards judges, Pilot TV, bear that no. in mind as well. Shh. Bye. The worst. <laughs> <laughs> he
0: arrives late. He leaves early. <laughs> He's a catch. <laughs> um, but it probably has a combi boiler. So, yes. All right. So, Jimbo is gone. We're doing... A spoiler special with uh, Richard Stanley that mm. are on today as well. Uh, Color out of space, Hell's bells.
2: Yeah, this is um, this is another good horror movie this week. Actually, it's but this is significantly weirder. I mean, you know, while I think the uh, Invisible Man dealt with a lot of real world fears, real world issues, you know, is this all real or is it in my head? Kind of stuff. Color out of space is a full on. What the fuck horror? <laughs> um, and I say that with love. It is like oh, so. Lovecraft. I say it with Lovecraft. You're mm-hmm. right. I um, so basically a th- A meteorite lands in the garden of a farmhouse belonging to Nicholas Cage and Jolie Richardson. They are city folk who have returned to his ancestral home. He now farms alpacas. He talks a lot about alpacas It's delightful uh, she's working up in the in the sort of uh, attic basically as a financial advisor and they have uh, three children, two teenagers, and a younger kid um, and basically stuff starts to happen <laughs> stuff starts to go. Weird. And coloured things start to appear, and they're little weird patches of air with a sort of rainbow effect around mm. them, and, and stuff mm. begins to change. And every member of the family seems to be affected to some degree in different ways, but in what ways and to what degree? isn't always clear at any given moment. So you're a little bit on edge the entire time.
0: So this strikes me as a great opportunity for one of the, the great Gonzo, Nick Cage performances. <laughs> do, we, do we get that?
2: We get a bit of that. It, it takes a while. It, it, you know, builds symphonically. Um, he is, initially at least, he's the kind of, you know, sceptical, sensible kind of guy. Um, and then it gradually becomes clear that he is also affected by whatever the fuck is going on. Um it's 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 kind of insidious it's you know the idea is that there's something not in the air in the water that it is kind of taking over uh, but it's not clear how it's not clear why it's not clear what it is where it came from what it wants well space i guess um <laughs> but it's uh, I, I just really liked it because it's just mm. so out there
0: and so this is uh, a lovecraft story Which is Danny Returns? Do you love the craft of this story?
2: I do think it's really well done. I mean, there's some full on the thing level monster Mm. grotesquerie at times yeah i'll be honest things do not go well for the alpacas (laughs) um (laughs) sorry about that alpaca fans uh so there there are some moments like that which are but there's also just creeping tension real dread kind of insidious weirdness around the edges of things yeah
0: i'm yes i'm there for it i think you'll really like it i was unable to to make a screening this week uh this may become a recurring theme as we go through the rest of the podcast uh this one we gave three stars to. Uh, of course, that is, as we always say in the podcast, a recommendation, a recommendation yeah. for color out of space. And yes, we'll be doing a spoiler special for that one, talking to Richard Stanley, and that will be up at some point next week. So keep an eye uh, peeled for that one as well, if you are a spoiler special subscriber. Next up, Helen, you spoke a couple of weeks ago on yeah. our 400th episode to Todd Haynes, director of Dark Waters. Uh, and uh, yeah. I know you love this film.
2: I did like this film. I liked it a lot more, actually, the second time. I liked it first time. I liked it more the second time um, just because it it's kind of an, a low-key film not in the sense of having Tom Hiddleston in it no. but in the sense
0: sure. of
2: <laughs> being uh, dialed back and it feeling quite sort of 90s it feels like we haven't seen a lot of this kind of crusading lawyer takes on a big corporation films in recent years and um, yep. frankly we should because the big corporations are still dreadful yes, um, and,
0: and, and bigger and, uh, yeah, and getting away with a lot of shit a
2: lot of shit so basically this is uh, this takes place between the 90s and really only a couple of years ago um, which is a corporate lawyer pl- by Mark Ruffalo, Rob Bellot is about to be made partner. He's at a big firm that defends corporations. Now that is important. That's their job in life. That's their mm. job is to help corporations figure out how to comply with laws and ensure that they don't get sued if something goes wrong,
0: right? So he's, he's almost not, well, Tilda Swinton's not a lawyer in Michael Clayton, but that kind of that thing. Ki- almost that, that kind that's of what, thing. That's where Arthur is. That's what the Tom Wilkinson character in Michael Clayton yeah. is. He's a character, a lawyer who defends these big corporations.
2: Yeah, and that's that's what he does. But a farmer who knows his grandmother from up the country um, comes into him with stories that something is going wrong on his farm. And Rob, as a favour, basically starts investigating this. And this tur- this turns into a I think, a 12-year campaign um, because it turns out that DuPont, the giant chemical company, is dumping something next door to this farmer's land and it is is doing something to his cattle, but it turns out to much, much more than that. Mm. And it turns out that what they're dumping is technically not illegal because what the US system did was they asked the chemical companies to tell them what was dangerous so they could regulate it. And this wasn't one of the things that the chemical companies mentioned
0: oh wow so they basically went we have this, this ticking time bomb but if we don't tell you it's a ticking time bomb it ain't a ticking time bomb
2: you won't tell us what to do with it yeah mm-hmm. um, so essentially wow. that's I mean, that's a minor spoiler but that's what, not a knife that's a knife <laughs> what's What's interesting about this film is just the rolling revelations of everything that's gone wrong to get to this point mm. and the scale of what is involved in this so um,
0: what does Todd Haynes bring to this because when I, when I think of Todd mm. Haynes I think of uh, as I said in my introduction you think of sometimes he, he, he embraces weird Yeah. Uh, Sometimes he'll, you know, fell the gold mine or something like Even I'm Not There or Superstar of the Karen Carpenter story, which has been made with dolls. Or he'll do something that is lavish, but kind of subversive, Mm -hmm. like Carol. Yeah, Uh, And this seems to me to be a fairly straightforward, almost Aaron brockovich type thing.
2: Yeah, I think that's a much better um, comparator, actually. I I don't, it doesn't feel Todd Haynesy in that, in the sense of either of those things. Like, this is a guy who is, you know very respectable very much part of the the system he's he's not an outsider he's but he becomes one because he starts taking on this this yeah challenge um so i think that's unusual for him i think what he brings to it is the same kind of chilliness of the road scenes in Carol that same sort of sense mm. of being lost in a familiar place um, and I think that works really really well this was a passion project for Mark Ruffalo really who brought Haynes aboard and I think it was actually a really good instinct because they work really really well together um, I think Anne Hathaway does a really good job but is thrown away um, the, the, there's, there yeah, aren't the scenes barely in the market yeah which, basically think, yeah. Um, but really really good uh, supporting cast great to see Tim Robbins taking on a decent yeah. sized role again Um but yeah, I liked it. Um, we give it three stars, and I can kind of understand why. I, mm. I liked it a bit more than that, probably.
0: All right, but you know, it may be one of those movies that, that, that takes a little bit of time just to yeah to linger. Oh. Um, that's really you know to be poured into your waters, so to speak. Oh God, that sounds horrible. Anyway, three stars yeah, don't then. Do that. Three stars then for Dark Waters. And uh, finally, in terms of uh, having Helen's gaze fall upon it this week, (laughs) is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. The sequel, of course, to Jane Campion's... (laughs) No. No? Oh, damn it. Okay, but this is from the French director Céline Sciamma and I probably yes. mispronounced it horribly.
2: Um, yeah, this is uh, all-female gazy. this film. It's fantastic. It's set around 1770 um, on a small French island, and um, a painter, uh, Marianne, who's played by Noémie Merlot, um, is commissioned to paint a portrait of a countess's daughter. Now, the countess is played by Valeria Galino, who, of course, we all know from Hot Shots. Mm-hmm. Um, but she she commissions this painter to paint a portrait of her daughter, Heloise, who's Adèle Hanel, and... Um, But there's a catch. Uh, The daughter doesn't want a portrait painted, refuses to sit for it, and doesn't want anything to do with it. So Marianne has to pose as her companion, who's there to take her out for walks every day, and then try and get enough information to paint her portrait from that. But they basically strike up first a friendship and then more of a love story as, as the story goes on, because they're both kind of trapped by their circumstances in a world that doesn't allow them any freedom Mm -hmm. um, essentially Mm -hmm. this is an unbelievably beautiful movie like it is I mean aside from the two leads who are obviously stunning and everything else (laughs) but it's just you know their walks on this kind of windswept shore um the colours that uh that they find, and in, in, it's just both Selena Sciamma herself, but also her cinematographer Claire Maton, who also shot Maddie Diop's Atlantics this year, which oh, is yes. an incredible double for On her. On
0: Netflix, if you, if you haven't
2: seen it. Absolutely, look that up. But, but I mean, this couldn't be more different in terms of style, but, because this is all kind of, you know, washed out, bleached, kind of sunny, windy, windswept, salt, bleached colours. But it's just incredible looking and the performances are amazing and the, the sort of specificity of the love story between these two women who cannot be together. There is no scenario where it works out well for them. Mm. You know, Heloise, the whole point of having her portrait painted is to get her married to a rich man. That's the only end game here that's going to be sort of allowed. But it's about finding that connection in, in the itself. tiny space. <laughs> Sorry. In the tiny space that they have. And I, th- I think it's just beautiful.
0: We give this five stars.
2: Absolutely. If Which we gave six, we week. would have given it six. I mean, Whoa! It's just, really? It's stunning. Yeah. Six stars <laughs>
0: for Portrait <laughs> of a Lady a on Fire. It sounds tremendous. Uh, yeah. I, I, I obviously I've missed most films uh, this week, <laughs> and uh, but I haven't seen this one yet. I'm really, really <laughs> looking forward to uh, to catching up with this one. Five stars indeed for Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, and just a couple of movies to mention, very, very quickly, in Dispatches as well. Uh, last week we had Justin Kurzel on the uh, Empire Podcast. He is the director of True history of the Kelly gang which purports to be uh, well you know a true history of the Kelly gang and uh, we gave that four stars uh, George Mackay and Russell Crowe and Charlie Hunnam and Nicholas Holt and Essie Davis all getting four lovely stars very very uh, dark and bleak and uncompromising but brilliantly acted then we have Downhill which is the Julia Louis-Dreyfus Will Ferrell starring mm-hmm. remake of Force Majeure uh, directed by uh Nat Faxon and Jim Rash who are mm-hmm. of course uh, well Jim the Rash way was, way back the yeah. yeah, way, way way indeed but Jim Rash was also the uh, the, the dean. dean on Community uh, and cameoed in
2: um, in a Marvel movie mm-hmm. which was oh Iron Man no it wasn't oh Civil You're War ha- Oh no, yes, yes. Why,
0: why are you having such a Captain America block today I You're- don't
2: know man
0: you're losing it as you, as you get further away from Cap you're losing your love for Cap I that, think that's, that's what it is that's insulting what you need to see is you need to see him as a, a sadistic dentist that's what you need <laughs> to see him and that'll rekindle the fires anyway and uh, we gave this one three stars three stars is a recommendation but it sounds to me like the movie of the week is Portrait of a Lady on Fire uh which sounds also like it could refer to The Invisible Man as well if you wanted to retitle oh. that. Uh, that's not a spoiler, by the way, I just meant metaphorically. Metaphorically. <laughs> <laughs> metaphorically, yeah. Elizabeth Moss's character is full of righteous rage in that movie. Uh, so go see both of those films. Hurrah. Check them out. Great stuff. Uh, right. And that is it for this week's Emperor Podcast, which is once again brought to you by our sponsor, Stephen King's Dr. Sleep. Don't miss it on digital download now or catch the limited edition director's cut on 4K and Blu-ray, TM, or on DVD, no TM, from 9th of March. Hey, Helen, you know where we're going to be next week?
2: I do, but tell me.
0: Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be in Dublin. Dublin. Yes, indeedy. We'll be in Dublin. Dublin's fair city. Dublin. Where the girls are so pretty. I first set my eyes on sweet Molly Malone. I feel like we're
2: going to be thrown out for hate crimes. (laughs)
0: quite possibly Uh, anyway yes we're going to be in Dublin at the Dublin International Film Festival we're very very excited Uh, we did Belfast last year which was a huge deal for me and Helen and it's a huge deal for us to bring the podcast to Ireland as well and uh, we're really excited about that tickets are sold out for that but if you keep checking the Dublin International Film Festival website people may return stuff on the day turn up at the box office if you fancy it of course don't if you don't Uh, and you never know you may well get a ticket to come in and see us and I can't reveal who the guests are But we will have some, I promise you. We will have some guests. Our guest this week is (laughs) Helen (laughs) O'Hara. If that happens, then you know something's gone horribly wrong. Or or horribly right. Or horribly right. Anyway. (laughs) Uh, We've got some very, very late-breaking entries, by the way, for my
4: uh, opening on the movie
0: podcast. I'm going to try some here. I'm going to throw them out real quick. On the movie podcast, I see "License to kill as James Bond's creative acme. On the movie podcast that thinks nearly three hours is probably enough time to die. (laughs) Okay. On the only movie podcast that will soon be passing the reins to James Mangold to take over.
2: Oh, he'd do a really good job, actually.
0: On the movie podcast that when naming Winter Storms decided to skip from D to J in honour of the crazy fast and furious naming system. (laughs) On the movie podcast, it self isolates every evening and uses an entire box of tissues. Now, come on, that's
2: oh.
0: uh, that's you can't say things like that. Unbelievable. You do anyway, it all the time. anyway, thank you for your. Uh, well, that's true. <laughs> do as I <laughs> do, not do as I say. Right. Anyway, that is it for this week's Empire podcast. Uh, it is uh, join us next week for more fun related fun. I've done the bit. Um, award-winning judges love this bit. Come in, Dan. Dan's here for the next podcast we're about to record. Dan Jolens here. Hi, Dan. Hey, mate. How Jane. you doing? Good You're mind. on that microphone there, Dan. How about that one? Yeah. Hey, how you doing? Great, Dan. Sit down, please, Dan. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, Thank Dan. Jo-Lin. Lovely, Dan. Dan Jolin's Minister here, which is great. you Senate magazine. Anyway. You can buy it now online. <laughs> yes, you can. Um, <laughs> if you like board games, if you like magazines about board games, then Dan's Senate is the magazine for you. Buy Senate. It's the best. It is the best. Uh, so welcome, Dan, and goodbye, Dan. Uh, uh, anyway, until then, until a dispicious occasion, until next week, it is goodbye from Dan Jolin.
2: Goodbye. <laughs> so random. <laughs>
0: Uh, it is goodbye from our very own Invisible Man James Dyer blessed relief isn't it <laughs> isn't it a blessed relief it is goodbye of course from Helen O'Hara toodaloo and it's goodbye from me I'm off to self-isolate and use an entire box Chris of hey now. wait a second let just read what I write like Ron Burgundy thanks for listening see you next week bye <laughs>